Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey guys, this is Matt Seidel and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chill and let them have it because this is just an intro keeping the strong style six stars from the get-go boy yeah from tampa bay to the tokyo dome this is keeping it strong style with your host jeremy donovan and the young boy joshua smith and thank you for listening welcome to keeping it strong style the ace of podcasts on the social suplex podcast network jeremy donovan here with the young boy josh smith on today's show, we'll preview nights one and two of the New Year's Golden Series and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only Browser extension for njpwworld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? I'm doing so very well. Glad to be back here on the show. Thank you guys for having me. You know, it seems like it's been forever since I've, uh, you know, joined you. Um, so thank you for being so gracious to, you know, allow me to come on the show again, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> allow you back for the, the 216th episode in a row. I'm a reoccurring guest. I'm not a host or co-host. I'm <laughs> just the guy that shows up and guests on the show. It's like, you know, in, in shows where it's like also starring. Yeah. <laughs> Um, speaking of which, I'm actually doing a guest spot on a show. Um, they wanted me to let you guys, I don't know why they chose me, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, um, I'll, I'll be doing radio. Um, I don't know the gimmick. I don't know if it's just like internet radio or just terrestrial radio, but, uh, I was told to tell the people to check out, um, 
Off the Mat Live. This is a show I'm going to be part of this coming Friday at 5.30. And you can watch them at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Follow them on Twitter, Facebook, at WWSRN underscore radio. If you want to watch Off the Mat Live, they're going to be airing from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern. They do that every Friday. I think I'll be on there for like 20 to 30 minutes. You know, I've got to school the marks. <laughs> Let me sit underneath the learning tree. Teach them about the ways of Sheen Hob Pro. <laughs> <laughs> teach them about Cerulean Blue. Yeah. They're going to be like, so tell us about New Japan. Well, it all started back in 1972. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We're going to be like just starting to talk about like Anoki and Carl Gosh and like, well, that's our time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, um, check them out. Those guys are good guys. Um, Alex Lowe's friend of the show, local guy. He wants me to come on here, so. I'm gonna talk with them. I don't. I really don't know what we're doing. But uh, if you want to check check me out in a, you know, in a different setting, it's it's my excursion essentially. Yeah, you know, it's been a while since we've really done any. Either of us have done guest spots anywhere, so. Yeah, it's because we we killed the territory. You know, <laughs> we went out there. We drew a lot of money. We had our run, and now you know we're in player coach like player coach role essentially. You know, well, uh... and the times the times coming, man. Well, I think the issue was our, our booking fee got too high. <laughs> like, like, you know, at first we <laughs> we do these little, you know, little spot shows for free. And then, you know, we started getting over, started getting big in the territory. And then, you know, people try to reach out to book us. And we're like, nah, play like the fee's gone up. No, it's because they got, we got heat. Um, And by we, we mean me. I, I got heat with all the, all the other hosts out there on the podcasts. <laughs> Nah, it's, you know, Jer- Jeremy's been blamed by association. They don't, you know, they don't fuck with us anymore. So. <laughs> it's because like there's no like other really dedicated New Japan show out there. Like, remember, like everybody like was covering New Japan or wanted to have yeah. Russell Kingdom reviews and like, oh man, we got we got to get some people on and talk about this stuff. I mean, One Nation Radio hasn't even hasn't even done like a New Japan like year end thing. Like nobody's like a really besides like us and Jcast. Nobody's really like going at this thing. <laughs> Maybe we're like. um the ironic old, like the ironic like meme wrestlers that were like hot two years ago and then they can't give work nowadays, you know, shit's passed. And uh, you know, if, if maybe if we uh, you know, laced up the boots and started doing some technical indie style wrestling, some terminus shit, you know, maybe they'd pick us up. But uh, we're over here, you know, doing farts and you know, putting our hands in our shit. pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wrestling with our hands in our pocket, you know what I. I didn't even know how to keep the bit going because I don't know what those because I refuse to watch the meme wrestlers, so I don't know I don't know what they do actually. Right. And I honestly I couldn't really think like Orange Cassidy was the first person that came to my mind, but honestly he's he's doing great for himself. But there's a bunch well, you know, do you want to get into do you wanna on the air start calling out all the terrible wrestlers in No, no, let's not slip down even that. You never know who's listening to these things. Yeah. Big names. But, um, yeah, let's start the show. Yeah, and uh, real quick, I want to give a, a shout-out to everybody who's uh, rated us on Spotify. Last week, I gave the, kind of the big call for you guys to uh, rate us on Spotify. Got some ratings on there. So, a reminder, if you're listening to us on Spotify on the Keeping It Strong Style feed or the Social Suplex feed, 
go ahead and leave us that five-star rating on Spotify. Help us get over there on that app so that way we can reach tons of new listeners in the Spotify world. Absolutely. Well, first thing we're going to cover here this week or talk about is uh, Kazuchika Okada. So this past week, Okada voted in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. Uh, big voting here, Okada. He was on 92% of the ballots, which is the third best in Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame history. Uh, Kobashi in 2002, he had 98%. So Okada, he joins an exclusive list of first ballot Hall of Famers, Kurt Angle, Odessa Asino, Steve Austin, Dos Caras, John Cena, Gato, Akira Hokuto, Kenta Kobashi, Jushin Liger, Takashi Matsunaga, Shinsuke Nakamura, Manami Toyota, The Rock, Jim Ross, and Kazushi Sakuraba. Yeah, that's, um, that's rarefied air, you know. So uh, I'm glad something happened this week because I wasn't even sure if we had anything to like cover on the show. I thought we were just gonna come out here and like bullshit, you know, and uh, maybe we could start like doing some fantasy cards or <laughs> stuff like that. But uh, it, you know, thank God for Okada coming to save the you know another show that he has saved. You know, this is like four shows this month. You know, Wrestle Kingdom one, two, three. You know, and keeping a strong style. Keeping a strong style two sixteen. <laughs> Keeping a strong style, 216 says. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, um, this was pretty uh, pretty awesome. You know, um, when you talk about, like, Hall of Fames and wrestling, I mean, there's not that many. Um, the major ones that most people know are probably going to be, like, the WWE Hall of Fame, which is, you know, at this point kind of just a company joke. You know, it's, it's a company deal. It's not, like, a, treated as, like, a serious Hall of Fame the way that, like, the Cauliflower Alley Club is or the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. Um, so, I mean, there's, you know, there's a few different rarefied Hall of Fames out there. And, um, you know, the thing with the, the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame is it's voted on by, you know, a group of peers, a group of pundits and those that are knowledgeable, you know, on the history of wrestling. And, uh, you know, to see Okada go in, you know, so handedly, but not, I mean, what do you need? You need, I believe, what, 75% of the vote to get in, right? Or 65? Uh, I think it's uh, 60 because um, Mystico missed it by 1%. He got 50, okay. like 59, like 0.7, and they don't round up. Gotcha. Okay, so, I mean, you know, you, you look at that. I mean, this guy got in with 92%. And as we already mentioned, you know, it's the third best in history. I think Kobashi and uh, was it Liger or was yeah. it The Rock? Li- Liger. Liger is the first, then Kobashi, then Okada. No, Kobashi went in with like ninety eight percent. Right, yeah, Kobashi was second. Like Liger had more than Kobashi. I don't think so, man. I think Kobashi is the number one, and then Liger's number two. Okay, I'm well, maybe, pretty sure. Maybe it's flipped. Then I didn't. I didn't see Liger's number there, but either way, yeah, it's probably Kobashi then Liger then Okada. Yeah, but I mean, even still, um, you know, there's a lot of outrage for the voters that didn't, you know vote for Okada. He he only got 92% of the ballot. And I mean, I don't know. I'm not like that personally outraged. I mean, people have different opinions, you know? Right. I, I think it's just one of those things. And they, you know, they talked about this on Observer uh, this weekend, you know, and I know Dave is not a fan of it, but it does kind of come into a point where people kind of are like strategic with their vote. 
and you know, there are people who are like, oh, well, I know for sure Okada's getting in, so let me use one of my votes on uh, Sergeant Slaughter or somebody else who I feel like is, is not going to get in or need some help getting in. Um, yeah, but, you know, that's that's true. But, um, you know, regardless of whether you agree or disagree with this, there are some people that might be of the opinion that, you know, Okada isn't in their, like, top 10 because that's what you get. You get 10 votes at this current time, right? Right. You know? And that's their opinion, you know? I mean, it's it's kind of unheard. I mean, I get it. Based on his drawing ability, based on his, you know, match quality, based on the business he's done and his accomplishments and everything like that, is Kazuchika Okada slam dunk and, you know, a lay down and an easy-to-predict uh, guy that should get in by any you know feasible metric yeah absolutely does that mean that he's going to get 100 percent of the vote even if he should no and i mean i think that's a little unrealistic because uh almost nobody goes into any hall of fame there's always going to be some dissenting voices so i mean i'm not like that freaking out about it i mean i've i've heard a lot of people that were just like outraged i feel like there's uh i don't know better stuff to get mad about <laughs> yeah. i got in with 92 percent, you know yeah, um, you know, too, uh, it, it is, like, broken up by regions, and so there are people, like, if you're not familiar with the Japan region, you don't vote into there. I mean, at this point, I'm not sure. I mean, also, I don't know who, like, what the extensive list of voters are, so is it possible there's some old-timers that don't watch Japan at all and haven't really been following New Japan that didn't vote for Okada, maybe? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely possible. I don't know if they're... Uh if their votes are taken in, into consideration though, I, I think it might just be people that voted in the region, you know? Right. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. This show isn't really the show to like break down all the ins and outs of the hall of fame. I don't even know how you get a ballot. I feel like we should probably be voting on this shit. And the fact that we're not invalidates the wrestling observer. Hall of fame <laughs> totally. So, yeah, man, I, I think it's getting to a point now. I think everybody at a uh, social suplex or at least, uh, you know, the top dogs, we should be, uh, we should be getting some ballots. We could. I mean, I don't even, uh, you know, send in my top 10 matches for Voice of Wrestling because I don't want to write anything. So, <laughs> you know, busy man. I'm a busy man. I don't know. Yeah. Well, uh, congratulations to Kazuchika Okada. That, that is just an, an awesome feat, getting in the Hall of Fame, still, you know, active wrestler, which is probably another reason why some people didn't vote because he, he's still active and going. But, I mean, at this point, he's really cemented his legacy in – Anything else he does extra is just gravy, and so looking forward. But you know that that isn't that is an argument that some people have sometimes is that they'll wait to see how a career pans out. I'm not saying that he could do enough to invalidate it, but we've seen cases where guys have actually hurt their legacy and maybe wouldn't have gone in to a Hall of Fame later on had had there been a criteria that they couldn't be voted in while they were active. You know, right. Uh, case in point, Shinsuke Nakamura. Yeah. As crazy as that sounds. I mean, if you're very aware and were around at the height of his popularity in like 2015 and, you know, just prior to that, he's a slam dunk. But then you kind of look at where his career has gone since then. And uh, I think there could have been a case where, like, let's say if he was on the ballot right now, would he get in? I'm not confident he would. You know what I mean? Right. And I think it's the same thing that affected uh, Mystico. I mean, he did get uh, 59%, but 
You know, he probably would have been in already if it wasn't for his WWE run. You know, he went over, became Sin Cara, did not have a great run there, then went back to Mexico, and yeah, he's still uh, been, you know, a, a top guy in Mexico, but he hasn't been to that level that he was before he went to WWE. Yeah. So, I mean, that stuff happens. I mean, uh, you know, there's a lot of different opinions, but, you know, the popular opinion, obviously, um, Kazushiko Kata, Hall of Famer, first ballot, gets in, first try. Very incredible. And, you know, I like the tweet you sent out um, this past week. You got a lot of engagement, you know? Yeah, I, I use one of the pictures that I took uh, from the G1 in Dallas, was it Madison Square Garden? I forget which. Uh... That looked like the... Dallas show. Yeah, G1 in Dallas. Uh, you know, I, I didn't, didn't want to get, you know, any copyright claims on, on a picture, so I made sure to pull one of that that I took of myself. And uh, I don't I don't care. I'll, ri- I'll risk it for the whole show. I don't care. <laughs> if you get pulled off Twitter, so be it. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, shout out to everybody who uh, showed some love on that post. Yeah, so, and uh, for everyone that saw me post something about the recommended match of the week, the incredible Shinya Hashimoto-William Regal match, and... Uh, didn't engage with it. Fuck y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I spent time. I spent time getting those photos and editing them, put piecing them together. You guys don't even know. I don't even know how to use Twitter. You know how fucking hard it is for me to like send out a tweet. It takes like an hour for me to send one tweet, and then you know I'm sitting here thinking like, oh damn, this is a good one. <laughs> You're about one. to get so many. About to get so many likes. Oh my god. And then like. Hours go by and I, I'm like, let's let's get into it. Let's see let's see what we got. One like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh man, people people ain't got no love for William Regal, bro. Yeah, man. I'm never I'm never recommended a match of his for our show ever again. He is, you know, let me down sorely. <laughs> <laughs> we, we wish Regal the best in his future endeavors. You want to talk about the Golden Series? I'm so excited for the Golden Series. Yeah, so the New Year's Golden Series starting up uh, this Thursday, January 20th, live show from Corkin Hall. So we'll run through the card for that, and also the January 21st show is going to be a video-on-demand show. So on the 20th, we have the great Ocon taking on Yuta Nakashima. The LIJ team of Bushi and Hiromu taking on Fujita and Oiwa. Tiger Mask and Togi Makabe taking on Jado and Taiji Ishimori. Satoshi Kojima, Tomioka Hanuma, and Toriano taking on the Suzuki team of Minoru Suzuki, Taichi, and Taka Michinoku. Hiroshi Tenzan, Master Wato, and Ritsuke Gucci taking on the Suzuki team of Doki, El Esperado, and Yoshinobu Kanamaru. Semi-main event, the Chaos team of Hiroki Goto, Tomohiro Ishii, Yo, and Yoshihashi will take on the House of Torture, Dick Togo, Evil Show, and Yujiro Takahashi. And then the main event will be Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kazushika Okada, and Yuji Nagata taking on the LIJ team of Sonata, Shingo, and Tetsuya Naito. Bro, do you see that that team in at the top of the card? What, the uh, Mega Blue Justice Aces? Bro, that's the triple aces right there. So that's what that is. Triple aces, bro. Dude, Sonata, Shingo, and Naito are fucked, bro. They got no chance in hell. How are they going to defeat triple ace? I, I I can see, you know, Sonata just getting hit with everything. You know, uh, a rainmaker, uh, blue justice <laughs> backdrop, high fly flow. Get this geek yeah, out of here. 
Shingo's gonna be fucked up. <laughs> oh, oh, you thought you was hard? You thought you was the ace of the of the company? You thought you was gonna carry the belt? Hold this. High fly flow. <laughs> Rainmaker. <laughs> the gotta lock three. Yes. Fucked up. Tap yeah, now. <laughs> Tap out, man. <laughs> oh man. But um, yeah, it's an interesting uh looking card. I mean, I, I think that match is the one, you know, if you really look at it top to bottom. Um, that match does look super interesting. I mean, uh, you know, Nagato, Kata, and Tanahashi all teaming together three generate literally like the last three generations of aces of the company, you know, all back to back to back. And they're taking on LIJ team with three, you know, dark aces, Sonata, Shingo, and Naito, guys that will never be. <laughs> <laughs> but um from a talent perspective, that's a that's actually a pretty enticing um you know, main event. You said it's from Cork and Hall, right? Yeah, and I also believe this show will be uh, free on NJPW World. So if you are not a current subscriber, you can jump in here at the start of this tour and uh, check this show out. Yeah, so I mean, that match looks very good. I think, um, you know, I was being kind of facetious about Triple Ace, but the reality is Eugene got us there, so uh, I think we know what's happening. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're building up in that main event uh, two title programs, uh, the Tanahashi-Sanada U.S. title match and the um, Okada-Naito world title match. So I could see either one of those guys getting the pin on Okada, or I guess you could go Shingo getting the win on Okada. They're going to go Shingo. It's going to be Shingo because Shingo's the odd man out. and He kind of, you know, just came off the losses and, yeah. Or the one loss. They're going to try and make him look strong just like they did at Wrestle Kingdom Night 3. and He's probably going to... Uh, Maybe pumping bomber, maybe last the dragon Nagata, and that will be that. Yeah, but yeah, that match sounds really good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, especially those guys. You know, it's going to be Corkin, those guys work hard. Uh, I think it's, that should be a really fun main event. Um, you know, the the match preceding it is uh, the opposite of what I would call fun. I mean, <laughs> um, you got chaos, you got Goto Ishi, Yo Yoshihashi, and then. Uh, you know, the whole House of Torture. Isn't it interesting that House of Torture are a subunit of Bullet Club, but I've yet to see them team with anybody in Bullet Club at all? Are we ready to, like, just say that this is a different group? I mean, at this point, I think we should. I mean, yeah, there's been, since G1, there's been no interaction with any of the other Bullet Club guys. The other thing, too, with that, um, remember when Bullet Club Elite and... Bullet Club OGs were like quote unquote feuding, and then suddenly they just had nothing to do with one another. And then suddenly there wasn't a civil war, and they were just coexisting in separate universes within New Japan. And then it was just like, oh yeah, we're not together. <laughs> yeah, they came out just to like a random interview. Yeah, we're we're not part of the Bullet Club anymore. <laughs> That's what this is, bro. Except for you know, okay, let me ask you this. Um, so are these all the members of House? I don't even know. Are these all the members of the House of Torture, Dick Togo, Evil Show, and Yujiro, or is there anyone else? Um, Peter. She's not in it. She, she's what Yujiro. Yeah, but she don't count. Is there <laughs> anyone else? No, that, that that's just it. okay. So if they're this generation's version of Bullet Club Elite, who's who? Oh my god. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh uh, Well I, I guess Well the best worker on the team show So I guess that's Kenny <laughs> um, Damn um, uh, So if show is Kenny 
I'm gonna say evil is Cody. Yeah, evil's because Cody. he's got the most bullshit. Yeah. Then uh, and Dick, that would make I think Dick Togo. Um, he's probably Hangman Page because you know Dick and then Hangman, yeah, Hungman, you know. And then Yujiro is the Young Bucks. He's both Young Bucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense to me. Oh, but, um, my gosh. This match, you know, um, this is actually, you know what the truth is, though? It probably will suck, but House of Torture multi-man matches really are not as egregious as, like, say, singles matches involving those guys or even tag matches. So this wouldn't be, this might not be the absolute worst, but uh, I'm not looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, with all four guys involved, that also limits the the run-ins. Um, also, there'll probably still be a ton of ref bumps and you know garrote wires and pimp canes and brass knuckles and all that stuff. But at least you kind of limit the outside interference, and they're they're all already there and legal in the match. Uh, so maybe it won't be as bad. But I'm sure it's not going to be great. Well, you know, there's two ways to look at this too. Um, you know, there's the one way that's a little bit more. Com- compartmentalized where you're like okay evil is involved in multiple feuds involving different members of chaos so you know he's got like a singles match coming up with uh ishii he's also involved in a six-man uh unit match with these guys and then also the tag titles so i mean this kind of encompasses a lot of different things plus show and yo are still kind of going at it but i think the bigger overarching story very clearly here is a house of torture versus chaos feud. And I think that in it, I'm not giving them the pass on putting evil in so many different title matches, but, uh, you know, it's very clear that they're doing a faction, you know, um, feud between chaos and house of torture. Hopefully it just stays at this level at like the never and the tag level. It doesn't go beyond that, but it does feel like a long time since we've had two factions actually go to war in New Japan. Whereas, like, when we first started the show, I mean, it was, like, nothing but faction warfare in New Japan all the time. Right, yeah, there was always, either whether it was, like, Chaos or LIJ or, like, Bullet Club and Chaos. Like, there was always, like, factions going at it. And, yeah, especially with Bullet, or um, Huntai and Chaos kind of, like, melding together over the last uh, year or so. Uh, we really haven't seen a ton of, of faction warfare. So in, in one sense, yeah, it's kind of great to get back to that kind of faction warfare and kind of create this personal rivalry. And I know, like, you know, Kevin Kelly has been calling for uh, people to stand up against the House of Torture and to kind of give these guys uh, what they deserve. So you kind of have chaos fitting that role here and trying to, you know, stand up for uh, New Japan and, and get rid of House of Torture here. Yeah. But, you know, uh, they're killing... Four birds, one stone, four different programs, all kind of, you know, amalgamated into one thing here. Um, I'm guessing Dick Togo most likely it will be the pin eater for House of Torture, but you kind of don't know. With House of Torture, I mean, they could cheat and pick up some sort of, like, fluky win over, I don't know, Yoshihashi or Goto or something like that, you know? Or, Or even Yo. Even Yo, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I'm going to stick with the easy money line and just uh, predict a Chaos win here over Nick Togo, most likely. Yeah, that's probably the, the safe bet there. Um, cool. So, in my opinion, right now, those are probably the two most uh, must-see matches of this preview show. The rest of it, you know, we got Wato 
on the opposite end of Desperado in a six-man tag. Um, is there anything else to kind of unload in that match? Doesn't look like it to me. Yeah, that's the key that that junior title match coming up with uh, Watto and uh, Despy. Yep. So they got to kind of heat that up a bit more. Uh, the match prior to that, Kojima Hanma Yano against Suzuki Goon. I'm, the big story there, obviously, is Minoru Suzuki and Yano sort of still going at it um, over the KOPW title. So that will kind of be furthered as well. Uh, through most of this tour, you're going to see a lot of that, just like furthering, like feuds that play out further the uh, the big matches that are coming up towards the tail end of the tour. Right. And then in that uh, third matchup there, uh, they're, they're setting up that junior tag title match with um, Bull Club's cutest tag team against Flying Tiger. Uh, Robbie and ELP both out of the country right now, but they'll be back uh, later in this tour. And then the second matchup, um, just uh, LIJ going to obviously defeat uh, Fujita and Oiwa. And then Okan will uh, pick up a win over uh, Nakashima in the opener there. So. Yeah, the first two matches, obviously just, um, you know, very interesting, you know, uh, tune-up matches for LIJ and Great Okan kind of beating up on the Young Lions there. So, you know, those are always actually pretty interesting just to kind of see where... Nakashima, Fujita, and Oiwa sort of are in their progression, but, uh, you know, very predictable. So top to bottom, this really isn't the worst road to show, but, uh, you know, I think it's those top two matches, um, you know, matches six and seven that, that have my attention the most probably. Yeah. So then on the 21st, we've got a, a video on demand show. Show will open up with Great Okan taking on Oiwa this time. Then Fujita and Nakashima taking on uh, Bushi and Hiromu. Tiger Mask and Nagata taking on Gato and Taiji Shimori. Great Bash heel of Toki Makabe and Tomi Okahanma will team up with Yano to take on Suzuki Gun, Stoki, Suzuki, and Taichi. Tenzan, Master Wato, and Gucci will take on Despi, Takamichinoku, and Yoshinobu Kanamaru. And in the semi-main event, we'll have the Chaos team of Goto, Ishiyo, and Yoshihashi versus House of Torture, Dictobo, Evil, Sho, and Yujiro. And then the main event will be uh, Tanahashi, Ogata, Okada, Kojima against the LJ team of Sonata, Shingo, and Naito. Yeah, the only kind of thing here, obviously, this is a very, very similar card to the one that we sort of just previewed. And it's been my um, experience when they do this that the first night, the big night in Corkin at the start of the tour, that's where the crowds are a little bit more lively or the people, the, the guy, you know, the the boys put in a little bit more effort, a little bit more work. And then um, everything else after that is sort of just uh, them shuffling guys around. And you can also kind of tell who the pin eaters are going to be in certain sit- Like, for instance, at the top of the card, we got Okada, Tanahashi, and Kojima. Well, now Nagata's gone and they've replaced him with Kojima. So now Shingo gets to beat Kojima instead of Nagata. So, <laughs> you know, that's also kind of a dead giveaway as to uh, what the plans are on night one. But um, it, it's kind of the same card. It's a lot of the same programs getting further that we talked about. The the, the show is VOD, so it's going to be a little bit diminishing returns as far as, like, match quality, as far as, like, enthusiasm. Um, is this show from Corkin? Um, I think it might be Corkin also. Let me see if I could uh, pull it up real quick and check. But, yeah, okay. also with the VOD, I'll see uh, no commentary either. And see, that's the thing. They've done VOD in the past where the commentary has been added in after the fact. And when that's there, it's not quite as bad. But when they do no commentary and then they do 
you know, shittier production, worse camera work, you know, and then it's just a rehash of what you got the night before. It makes it pretty hard to even want to check the show out. Right. Yeah, the 21st is also from Corkin Hall. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, there you go. It, it, it's from Corkin. Typically, and, you know, there's drawbacks and positives to this, but uh, in the past, they've kind of gone full production for all Corkin shows. I mean, that's great because Corkin's an awesome setup for New Japan as far as, like, production goes, but then, you know, you look at this show, even if it was full production for Corkin, do I really want to see, you know, um, just essentially again i'll say it, a rehash of the first night's show and i mean it's it's pretty much the same thing right and again you know for you know the new japan viewer you don't have to to watch every single road to show uh right and so it's a lot of the same stuff i mean if you have the time sure i mean obviously we'll be watching it to, to cover and know ex- everything that's going on uh but i guess Maybe. I've, <laughs> but that's that's kind of the good thing about the road to show is you can kind of kind of cherry pick some of the best stuff. Um, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Like the first show, I'll be tuned in. That's Thursday, you know, easy going. Friday night, eh, you know, whatever day this VOD comes in. I mean, I don't know. You know, maybe it might get the background. You know, while I'm folding some laundry or uh, doing some dishes treatment. You know, look <laughs> up. Oh, okay. You know. Yeah. And Yano did some Yano did something wacky again. Okay, next match. You know. <laughs> well, we did actually have a question here about uh VOD shows from Red User PCA ninety one. So I was just looking at the upcoming live schedule on New Japan World. And it was at least for the Golden Seas tour, they're doing less live stream Corkin shows and more video on demand shows. What are your thoughts on that? I personally think it's a good thing as the amount of road to shows, especially from Corkin, really killed my interest in New Japan towards the end of last year. Lastly, going forward, you'll, will you be covering the VOD shows just like the live stream roti shows from Corkin? Me personally, honestly, um, I, I can't imagine that I'll be adeptly tuned into those VOD shows. But I mean, it, it sort of depends on what it looks like on paper. It sort of depends on what the buzz is. Um, you know, I kind of went through some of the comparisons, the drawbacks just a moment ago. But, uh, you know, one of the things I sort of wonder is like, should they even broadcast it, you know? There are times where they do dark show, you know, just house shows that well, yeah, don't get aired. There's there are several shows on this tour that are not being aired. Yeah, and I'm fine with that, especially if it's not going to add to the overall narrative. My my whole thing is this: if you're going to air it, I'm not saying you need to go balls to the wall, full blown out, you know, um, give us tons of surprises and you know five star classics. It doesn't even need to be the same level as say like a New Year's Dash, R.I.P. But, uh, <laughs> you know, there should be something there that you can s- stick your teeth into that forwards the storylines. And it's not just continuous regurgitation of the same angles, the same little tropes each and every night while they're on the tour. You know, there should be differences. There should be things that um, are engaging. Or if not that, then those main events really need to deliver on some sort of high level to kind of get me to, to tune in, you know? Right. And, you know, I think the, the most interesting thing maybe to check out from the VOD show might be at the backstage comments. Uh, so a lot of like, those are always good. Yeah. The story gets really developed and you get a little more insight in on the rivalries and the stories they're trying to tell in, in those uh, backstage comments. Speaking of which they finally uploaded uh Wrestle came night three, but they still didn't put out those comments. I think that they they're only available on uh, uh, Wrestle Universe. Mm, that's weird. 
I don't know. I mean, I got to assume that's the case. I don't have a, sub- a subscription, so I don't know, but uh, they're yeah. not on New Japan World. Yeah, maybe we'll, we'll ask Zach if they're, uh, they're up on there. Yeah, I mean, at this point, like, I, I don't even, I don't know. Maybe I'll watch it. Maybe I won't. I don't know. Yeah, but and I, I do see uh, PCN's point about, like, so many Road 2 shows, like, killing the interest. Because, again, like like we said, there's so many rematches where they just kind of switch one or two guys out. Yeah, but that's the beauty of the Road 2 is, like, if you're just a fan, like, you don't have to watch. It's not like it's like a, it's not like Dynamite. Like, you don't, you ha- you need to watch every Dynamite. You don't need necessarily need to watch every Road 2 show. Brother, trust me, you don't need to watch every Dynamite. <laughs> trust me. Uh, well, Especially not this past week's. Oh, uh, yeah. Last week's Dynamite was mid. But let's talk about uh, a show that was pretty good. Um, we're done with the Golden Series. That's our preview. So we're moving on to uh, New Japan of America, Strong Nemesis Night 2. It aired this past Saturday, January 15th. Um, and we had three matches. Uh, the opening match, Carl Fredericks and Kevin Knight, they defeated the Stray Dog Army. That's uh, Bateman and Mysterioso, 10 minutes and 4 seconds. Second match of the night, Brody King defeated Dave Dutra, 6 minutes and 31 seconds. And then the main event, we saw the impregnable Jonah as he defeated New Japan longtime mainstay, Dave Finley, 8 minutes and 20 seconds. Jeremy, thoughts on the show? Yeah, overall, it, it was a good show. Some really solid matches here. Um, I mean, we didn't see a ton of story progression, though, in, in this show. I guess maybe some stories starting. Also, they did, they did carry over the Battle in the Valley angle with Jonah and David Finley. Uh, opening match was kind of a fresh start here with uh, Fredericks and Kevin Knight against Stray Dog Army. Um, you know, they made a really big deal of uh, Fredericks' team getting the win since he had Kevin Knight. On his team, and you know, usually when a young lion's on a veteran's team, like that's usually an alert that they're probably going to lose. But uh, Frederick was able to uh, get the win at the Manifest Des- Destiny on uh, Mysterioso. Um, so I'm wondering yeah, if we're going to see more Fredericks and Kevin Knight teaming. There's going to be some kind of story where Knight is picking up wins by teaming with veterans. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I am wondering if they're trying to possibly uh, heat up Fredericks for some reason, but. Uh... You know, that was an interesting insight that you kind of um, honed in on that maybe they're trying to give the rub to Kevin Knight in some way, you know, just uh, via, you hear those sirens out here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, bro, it's real in these streets. Got Scott Steiner uh, over there? Yeah. Holla! <laughs> <laughs> the big baddie, the big bad booty daddy. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, the idea that maybe Kevin Knight is so getting some sort of, uh, you know, rub by, you know, teaming with other guys and picking up the wins. But, uh, you know, they don't treat the L.A. Dojo Young Lions quite the same way from a booking perspective as they do the Noge Dojo Young Lions. So, I mean, I'm not totally surprised by that. Plus, for better or for worse, Bateman and Mysterioso haven't been booked the strongest on this show anyways. Right, those guys are always eating L's. I mean, since Mysterious has been a part of New Japan of America, I can't really recall him winning too many uh, big matchups. Yeah, and I mean, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, he feels like one of the only true blue, like, luchadors that they have in the company right now. So, I mean, I don't know. I- I'd like to see them maybe kind of give him a little bit of a push, but uh, I like the guy. I think he's got a good look. I think he's got a, you know, good gimmick. He can fly. He's powerhouse. I don't know. I think there's a lot of upside with Mysterioso. 
I agree. I'd like to see him do, yeah, do more. Um, um se- second match was very interesting because, you know, I, <laughs> I don't know if you know this, Jerry, but like I've seen Dave Dutra wrestle before, but it was like years ago, and he kind of gave me like Alex Riley vibes. <laughs> no, I'm like he was like the Futra. I think his name was Dave the Futra Dutra or some shit like that. You know what I mean? And he was like this, you know alpha male like the future clean cut guy you know he yeah. did like randy orton poses and shit and then this match happened i'm like who the fuck let warhorse into this room <laughs> bro yeah as soon as he came out, i was like wait a minute is that what <laughs> i was like who the fuck is dave dutra why is he on my screen and why is you know thank god Brody king actually Brody king kind of gave him a lot in this match anyways i don't know i feel like Brody was whooping his ass in this match Brody did whoop his ass, but Brody also, you know, let him get, you know, quite a few shots in and some offense. And I was just like, man, this is Dave Butcher guy. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to be too offensive. You know, I'm sh- wrestling's a tough sport. You know, these guys, you know, they they give a lot, but uh, there are levels to this. That's what I'll say. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Brody King, man, was just like striking this guy so hard with the forearms and chops and just really laying into him, killed him with the, the big gonzo bomb towards the end there. Um, and yeah. I, I gotta wonder what the future of Brody King in New Japan Strong, as we saw last week on Dynamite, he's now signed with AEW, part of the House of Black with uh, Malachi Black, and they also are the, the PWG Tag Champ. So I'm wondering. Also, we, we've seen AEW guys continue to work strong tapings, but I wonder how much more is he going to be around? If he's still going to work strong tapings, kind of what his motivations right. are going to be. Yeah, it, it, he's a guy that um, the company seemed to be interested in. Um, you know, he's done a couple shots over in Japan in the past as well. And the future's always been kind of hazy as to what their plans were. Obviously, with uh, COVID and, and everything like that and travel restrictions, it's been hard. You know, it's not like if he even did decide to do more work with New Japan that they could get him to Japan or anything like that. Uh, Birdie King is an interesting guy on the show because him and a few others obviously filthy obviously like dirty daddy you know that they do a lot of work outside of the company but he's kind of been one of the guys that has been involved in a lot of the major companies i mean you know roh until it kind of just took its hiatus and then like you mentioned pwg now showing up in aew he's clearly signed there and i'm wondering if they're going to work out like some sort of a you know, dual contract sort of situation like they have for some guys in the past, or if, um, you know, like you mentioned, his uh, his shots with uh, New Japan might be coming to an end. I know, spoiler alert, he was involved with the most recent um, set of tapings, and I heard really good things about that match. So I won't spoil anything, but, uh, you know, for the time being, it doesn't look like he's going away, and they are pushing him. But, um, you know, I don't know. Some guys just fizzle out. You know, we haven't seen Leo Rush in a while ever since he signed with AEW. So it's it's hard to say. Well, Leo was also on uh, this past weekend's uh, tapings in Seattle, teaming with Rocky. Oh, you're, you're right. I forgot about that. Yeah, so <laughs> strike that from the record. <laughs> but I am going to be curious but, uh, to see, like, if uh, Brody continues, like, how – I'm always curious, like, how they handle character, like, continuity. Like, clearly – That's I, what That's what I was wondering. Because clearly he's he's been pretty much a babyface in a kind of like a you know 
anti-hero bay face in strong and facing off against like team filthy and guys like that um but clearly in AEW he's going to be positioned as a heel and part of this kind of darkish cult kind of thing so i wonder how that's going to transfer over same thing with leo rush i mean i know his character is not really defined yet in AEW. there's to kind of start and stop some stuff with him and uh, it seemed like he was kind of leaning heel in AEW, but in strong again he's been mainly a bay face yeah i mean there's different booking philosophies i mean you know, if someone has a, a really high profile in a certain promotion and the character's super defined and, you know, they're associated with that act, it's kind of hard to, to uh, present them in a, in a different light in another company. But, I mean, then again, you never know. I mean, we saw recently, I wouldn't go as far as to say that New Japan of America presents Jay White as a face, you know, far from it. But we've seen him, um, like, for instance, in the Dave Finley match, he came off like a baby face, even though he wasn't supposed to. So, you know, uh, in the right setting, the guy can be anything that the company or the people want him to be. So, And plus with Brody King, I mean, he's already, yeah, he's kind of been like a face, but, I mean, he's definitely on more on the edge of, like, badass, you know, dark character. I mean, he's kind of ill-defined tweener sort of guy. So, I mean, they could go either way. I, I think they'd be fine what, regardless of whether he adheres to his dark character from PWG and AEW or if he kind of just toes the line. I don't think it's really going to matter that much. But uh, right. I suppose it depends on what they decide to do with him in AEW. If he becomes some sort of like crazy satanic, you know, black blood spitting out goon, maybe they got to lean into that. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, but like I've always wanted Brody King to come to Japan. I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, um, business that he could be doing over there. A lot of great matches and guys he could be wrestling. And, uh, you know, I, I'm also reminded of like, remember when Jeff Cobb like turned initially and then, you know, one taping he was a good guy and then he came back. He's like, bad guy now. They might just do that with Brody King. Right. And I do know that, um, you know, Brody King's on his. Goals or bucket list items is to compete in a G1. So maybe that maybe that was kind of like contract negotiations he had with his AW contract. Like eventually, you know, he does want to, you know, go to Japan. So when things open up, maybe hopefully this summer uh, we could we can get some guys in. We'll see. I mean, it, it really depends. A lot of variables. But Brody King looked good here. Um, moving on, the main event, Jonah defeats Dave Finley in his kind of ongoing feud between himself and Finn Juice, and this is him sort of taking out Dave Finley. Um, you know, one thing I will say, Dave Finley looked really good here as far as fitness, as far as his uh, physique. I know we've commented in the past about him getting in better shape. I would almost venture to say this is the closest he's ever looked since he graduated to being in young lion fighting shape. Yeah, he looked in uh, great shape here in this matchup, and uh, but no matter how great he looked, he, he could not stop the unstoppable Jonah. Yeah, um, good good match, good story, nothing blow away, but, you know, everyone kind of uh, fulfilled their role to the best of their abilities, what they needed to. Uh, the most impressive thing for me was just Jonah coming off the top rope with that huge splash, just killing Dave Finley. And, I mean, you know, um, competitive match, but 8 minutes, 20 seconds. I mean, he got this guy out of here, you know, handedly. And Jonah might i'm not saying he's going to be but i mean i could see if they really they're putting a push behind him if they really wanted to like set him up as like a future strong champion 
I wouldn't be shocked by that. Yeah, I definitely see like I feel like they're all in with him. Um, I definitely see him big things for him in the future on strong. And yeah, came out here, looked great. Uh, you know, great gear, great, great look, and it's that that huge splash is just so impressive. And it's the way they booked him here. Uh, also, it, it does kind of seem like Finley might be on the way out, but still, you know, that's one of their dojo guys, one of their uh, you know main roster guys. And uh, Jonah came out here and you know gave him the work and. Um, yeah, I'd love to see what the future plans are going to be for Jonah. Nice. So next week we have another episode of New Japan Strong, Nemesis Night 3. It will be airing Saturday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern. And we have the following matches. Royce Isaacs will be taking on Lucas Riley. Semi-main event, Juice Robinson will be taking on Bad Dude Tito. If you've never seen Bad Dude Tito, uh, I, I give him the, the recommend. I like him. I think he's a good guy. And then uh, the main event here, we have the team of Tom Waller, Black Tiger, Jarrell Nelson, uh, in six-man tag action. They'll be taking on Taylor Rust, Fred Rosser, and Rocky Romero. So, you know, a uh, preview match here for the ongoing feud between Tom Waller and Taylor Rust, his uh, next challenger for the strong openweight title, plus the ongoing saga between Rocky Romero and the mysterious Black Tiger. Yeah, this should be a fun episode here, especially that main event kind of progressing some uh, more uh, story elements here. So looking forward to that. That's the nice thing with um, with Filthy Tom Waller and his group, you know, um, Team Filthy, they, you know, they might be involved in a 10 man or a six man tag or eight man or whatever. But there's typically some sort of forwarding of the major storylines anytime they're kind of put in the spotlight so you're not sort of sitting there like kind of dreading it like oh it's an eight-man tag you know we kind of know what we're getting there it's like no you you really don't know what you're going to end up getting because it's it's team filthy and uh you know um that's one of the benefits i guess of doing the kind of touring you know um you know show by show city by city format that they're they're using to tape uh new japan strong currently yeah and they just announced uh, some matches for the next set of tapings that are coming up uh, in Hollywood in February 17th. Uh, so we have the New Japan return of Buddy Matthews. He'll be taking on Ren Narita. The fall. Oh. Hmm? I said, oh, that sounds so awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Fallen Angel Christopher Daniels doing another shot here, taking on Gabriel Kidd. Um, then wow. we have another U.S. of J Open Challenge, and I gotta say that the picture here, it kind of looks like it might be uh, Shane Swerve Strickland. But oh, uh, that's an interesting one. Um, you know, the on the U.S. of J Open Challenge has kind of just been this thing that you know Jay White has been um, stateside. He hasn't obviously he wasn't with. Uh, you know, involved with Wrestle Kingdom. He hasn't really been involved with New Japan proper in, in a little bit here. And he's not a champion anymore since he dropped the title to Ishii. And he sort of just uh, kind of created this little niche for himself. Like, you know, I don't have a title, but I am the title. I'm the main guy. <laughs> you know, I'm the prize. And, you know, all these guys can come and fight me. And, um, you know, without putting too much, uh, I don't want to pull back the curtain too much, but I did hear the results from the most recent tapings. And I mean, uh, he didn't, I, I won't name the names that he gave, but he started alluding to 
having matches with guys from other companies like AEW and like, you know, different places like that where I was like, oh, shit. Like, you know, so if this um, USFJ Open Challenge kind of becomes a vehicle where he can, uh, you know, keep wrestling guys here and strong and then maybe even elsewhere, you know, who's to say, I mean, so far it hasn't happened, but I mean, you know, and I, I don't want to sound like a, a Mark who's just doing wishful thinking, but I could see the appeal if he got this gimmick over to where he could take it to like an AEW or an MLW or an Impact and get the gimmick over to where it's like, I don't need a belt. I have the USFJ open challenge, sort of like the Cody open challenge. And it's like, oh shit, you know, who's he going to wrestle? We, you know, the, 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 the real appeal there is these are dream matches. We don't know who it could be. It could be anybody. And like, there's always good payoffs and good matches, you know? Right, and he will be a part of the, the Impact tapings this weekend, so maybe he does some kind of US of J stuff there. And uh, non-spoiler here, but I, just a, a little hint, the guy that he did face uh, this, this last uh, tapings was an AEW guy. Um, so Yes, that's true. So, But he also, in his promo, in his most recent promo, alluded to the idea that he plans to compete in AEW. I don't know if that really will happen, but he like alluded to it yeah. or said it. I haven't heard the promo verbatim, so I don't know. Uh, then the last match they announced here is Finn Juice versus Jonah and Bad Dude Tito. Okay, interesting. So, man, yeah, that's the only the only bad thing about the um, taping schedules. Like stuff gets, you know, it, it's hard because there's stuff you don't want to get spoiled on, and it's happening. You know, and some people know what happened and other people don't. And then you're trying to enjoy it as a weekly episodic show. But it's like it's clearly, you know, each each uh, like tour, quote unquote, is just one night of wrestling, basically. Right. And that was so hard, especially because uh, Brian Alvarez still in Seattle. Brian Alvarez went out there and so he was tweeting out results live and <laughs> sending out pictures <laughs> and like. Yeah, and then like on, on Observer and Filthy Tom's show, like he had like three shows we we're talking about. I literally had to like fast forward and like delete. I'm like, bro, I'm not trying to get spoiled out here. What's going on? Well, here's the thing. That's fine. Um, I'm fine with people having coverage like that, but you have to be consistent with it. And obviously he's only doing the one show because it was where he was. He was there and he talked about it. And that's great. You know, you know, hats off to him. But I feel like if you're doing that, you should have some sort of correspondent at all these shows covering all of them, not just the one that was in your backyard that you happen to see, you know? Right. Like you and I are not going to go to Tampa and then, uh, and, and see that show and then come on the air and be like, all right, guys, the next four weeks of new Japan, Strong, <laughs> get ready. Let's, let's run down the line up here. What, what happened? <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe, you know what? Maybe we could do that. Like as a special, um, episode bonus, like, like a bonus and make that separate if we really were inclined to, or maybe we just play it. We should play it close to the vest. And what we should do is predict each week. What we think is going to happen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, but, but we both like it, we can't do it to where we both know the, the correct answer. And we both say it. So we have to like every now and again, disagree with one another, even though we were both at the show, mm. you know, Fuck you. You're wrong, bro. No way Leo's going over. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, that's going to wrap up our strong discussion this week. Uh, Next, we're going to talk about Lion's Roar. 
which is a new docu-series on NJPW World, which is a behind-the-scenes look at New Japan's New Zealand Dojo, which is uh, headed up by Bad Luck Fale and Tony Kozina. And it kind of takes you through the journey of people trying out for the New Zealand Dojo and just kind of everything that goes behind that. The first episode dropped uh, this past week, and episode two dropped earlier today. I haven't got a chance to uh, watch all of it yet, but I did see all of episode one. And Josh, I know you watched episode one. What do you think about uh, Lion's Roar so far? So I watched both episodes. I got to tell you, I really like this show. I like it a lot. Um, You know, we've seen some similar things to this in the past. Obviously, tough enough, you know, if you, you know, remember back in the day, especially some of those early seasons, you know, kind of peel back the curtain a little bit. And then um, what was the... uh, was it Proving Grounds? Was that the show on about NXT, Stomping Grounds, something like that? Oh, um, it was really good. The one that, like, that, that Corbin was on. Uh, yeah, I, I think it was. I think it was like Proving Grounds, something like that. Yeah, they had some show like that on on uh, the WWE Network years ago. Yeah, and it was bro, it was good. Like that one was really good. And then you know, I think about like uh, California Dreaming, like the LA Dojo. Um, documentary that they did with shibata and that stuff's always been very interesting to me so this is kind of a uh, it very similar and in line with those shows uh you know so if you don't want to get like you know the the curtain peeled too much back for you maybe this isn't the show for you but you know i, I would say definitely check it out um there's a lot of good things number one um bad luck Fale, you know say what you will about his wrestling whether you're a fan of it or not um he's a big integral part of new japan as far as like recruiting goes as far as expansion especially into that oceanic new zealand australia area plus he really does have the respect of so many of the other roster members because of the way he came up through the dojo system um and so that they kind of expand that and showcase that here in this show and they you know there's a lot of just cool interesting life stories showing him his training team where they train at his dojo, the, the housing accommodations that they sleep in, kind of goes into his background. And, you know, Fale sort of became a, uh, over the past year, like a TikTok star, sort of like an inspirational sort of guy, which I, I wouldn't have really expected that from him. But he's a good follow if you're on Instagram or you're on TikTok and he's always posting uh, really like heartfelt, uh, you know, um, inspirational sort of stuff you know kind of like tony robbins that sort of thing and uh it it does clash with his uh underboss bullet club persona but uh you know that's sort of the persona he's uh cultivated for himself online and that's sort of extended here into this show um some of the things i don't like i even though i think the show's edited very well i think that it's put together very well i think it's got great you know uh just quality. I think the music's good. It doesn't look like a low grade or second tier documentary. I think it's even higher quality than uh, the California Dreamin' documentaries. They haven't done a good enough job sort of narrating or providing a uh, narrative of what's going on. So it's like, you know, you're watching a show about guys that are training to potentially get into wrestling, but you don't really understand the stakes. You don't understand the characters right off the bat i'm sure they're they're starting to introduce them a little bit but uh it's like what is this is it a competition How, who's going into the house how many guys win 
what happens at the end? Do they get to go to Japan? Do they not? You know, what is it all for? No one has literally on the show one time explained what they're actually doing. They've alluded to it in conversations, but there's never been one moment where Folly's been like, we're doing a camp. There's 20 guys. We're going to pick four of them. and Those will be our guys. Like they have not said that one time. Have you noticed that? Uh, I don't know. That's for me. I just kind of figured that's what it was kind of about. Like, just from kind of subtext and just kind of some of the conversations that came in Tony Casino were having when they were eating. Like, yeah, the, these guys are they're trying out for the New Zealand dojo. Only a few guys will get in from the tryout. And then from there, these guys are going to be fighting and training to get a chance just to, you know, go to Japan. Well, here's the other confusing thing about it, okay? Uh, you're right. It's subtext. That conversation made me think that when the next episode came, they would be eliminating a lot of those guys that came to the initial quote-unquote tryout. Is that what you thought? Yeah, that's what I thought. And I know at the end of episode one, there were some uh, more guys that it seemed like it was a, a mix of guys they picked plus previous students because uh, Michael Richards was there who was the young lion that competed in the Young Lions Cup in uh, 2019, the one that Carl Fredericks won. So it seemed like it was some repeat uh, students along with some of the new guys they picked. So actually, no, you'll have to check out the second episode. So Michael Richards is there. You're right. He's actually there as like one of the coaches. Gotcha. Okay. He's he's like the the uh, one of the senior lions in the dojo. He's like the first established guy that they had. And um, they did a profile on him showing kind of the fallout from that young lions cup that he participated in it's pretty uh pretty interesting and uh pretty gripping too but um no what they're actually doing and this is what i'm guessing when they say the trial i think that the whole show is the trial so i think it's like three uh, to four weeks gotcha. where all those none of those guys are getting cut right now all those guys are going to go live in this house and to go train and i think at the end of it a few of them will get picked you know, gotcha. Yeah, that was confusing. Yeah, because it seemed like, yeah, when yeah, him and because Kazina and Folly, when they were having dinner, they were talking about who they right. liked. It seemed like, all right, we're gonna cut, we're gonna pick our four guys, and the rest of the series is gonna be following the four guys they pick. See, that's what I'm, yeah, I guess that's part of the confusion is you didn't see the second episode. I was confused by that too, and I was like, oh, wait, what's going on? And I, the, the problem is they've just never said what they're actually doing, and I was like, that would be like a bear, you know, you watch Tough Enough, and they're like, 10 men, 10 women, <laughs> four weeks, you know, they like kind of lay out the, the parameters. So um, that's the one big drawback of the show. Uh, the good stuff, we kind of get a lot more insight as to the training regimen and expectations and culture behind the uh, no gay dojo, even though what they're doing in the New Zealand dojo isn't quite the same thing. It's very much modeled after it. Uh, and Folly's taken that pretty seriously. So it's been pretty cool to kind of just get an understanding of what some of the expectations, the physical, um, you know, regiments that these guys go through are. The other thing, too, is I've always felt like shows like this were great for developing stars. You know, um, not to say that every uh, reality TV show involving like athletes is going to produce you know star personalities uh there have been a lot of epi a lot of seasons of the ultimate fighter that you know didn't pan out but you look at that first season and how many guys be became you know life or you know career long mma you know ufc fighters and guys that had multi-year contracts and 
became you know made for drawing acts and stars and we've kind of seen the same thing in different um, capacities to varying degrees of success with with pro wrestling as well and so i mean there's a lot of guys in here that like if you just brought them out on say an episode strong or some you know uh melbourne city championship wrestling i might not care about them but you're watching the show and you're seeing the struggles they go through you're getting to understand their backgrounds and their personalities and who they are and there's when you tell human stories like that, it's hard not to get invested in guys. I think that's something a lot of wrestling companies need to tap more into when it comes to developing characters and stars for their for their shows. Um, so yeah, I would say if you haven't caught the show, the episodes are very short. They're very good. They're like twenty minutes each. I would check them out. I, I'm I'm enjoying it so far. I think it's a very good show. And they don't do enough stuff like this for the English audience. So just having this kind of content on the, uh, on New Japan world is a huge plus. Yeah. I thought it was awesome. I really enjoyed episode one. I, I love the production. I love the kind of the behind the scenes look we're getting. And I absolutely agree with the point you made about, um, you know, them needing to tell uh, stories with these guys. And this is a, a great vehicle to do that. And yeah, it gets you more invested in these guys journey and eventually when we do get the, the final four and they you know get there to be the official students and are fighting for the new japan dojo you know eventually when the borders open up i'm assuming the the final four guys when they're done training or whatever are going to be in new japan and there might be another young lions cup or there'll be an opening matches and instead of just seeing some random you know Australian New Zealand guys like we're like oh those are the guys from Lions Roar and you kind of have the background of them their history their story and you're more invested and you want to see these guys you know make it and you, you get behind them so I definitely think um, they can get best benefit from that doing more documentaries I know they, like you mentioned California Dream was good the, the Okada documentary they've done a couple other documentaries but like you mentioned this is really for like the English audience and I think it's a, a great way to really kind of hook fans and kind of see some more behind the scenes. And like I was watching that episode and they're, they're going through the training stuff and I'm like, man, like, yeah. Anytime I, I think of like the itch of wanting to wrestle and I look, I watch that. I'm just like, damn, there's, there's no way I could do that. <laughs> they're, they're opening up with 300 squats and then they're doing the pull-ups and the push-ups and then, they're going in the ring and they're running drills. They're doing the, the roll forward rolls and handstand rolls and all this stuff. I'm like, man, like those, 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 those sessions are rough. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's pretty crazy stuff. The other thing too, um, and we can move on to news after this. I, uh, I appreciate what new Japan is trying to do with the dojo systems because, you know, this is a little bit different um, than say like what, the game plan of like remember when nxt sort of had that map and they were like we're gonna have nxt in mexico nxt in yeah the, the uh, globalization plan yeah the globalization plan new japan sort of does have a quasi globalization plan too i don't know what their you know long-term um you know business plan is as far as like running shows across the globe but um uh, i think that having dojos in different parts of the world can be a really beneficial thing if you think about it from a business perspective because you know you, you can train you know however many guys let's say four guys at a time for several years in hypothetically you could have a dojo in mexico have one in europe like you know great britain or the uk or whatever 
have one in the oceanic region like they have here, have one in LA. And then you've kind of developed 16 or 20 talents who are kind of on reserve. You can bring them in and use them if you want to, or you can also have those guys really work and revitalize the areas of the country that they're in, you know, and kind of, you don't even need to necessarily like send them on excursions quote unquote, because they're kind of on an excursion when things are more open. I mean, I could see whatever guys are in the Fale Dojo going to work for PWA Black Label and, you know, MCW and all the those other indies in that area of the world, you know, mm-hmm. EC, you know, um, and kind of the same thing. And then when they're ready, you know, bring those guys to Strong or bring those guys to, you know, um, to Japan or whatever it is that you want to do. And I think that's kind of a, a smart strategy if you really think about it. Yeah, and, and watching this too, it got me. It got me excited for the future of New Japan, just based off what you're saying there. You know, once the borders open up, you know that they're building up this dojo in New Zealand. They have the LA dojo already established. You already have guys graduated. You already have uh, new young lines coming in there of Kevin Knight and DKC, and we don't know. They could probably have some more guys in there that we don't know about that haven't are not ready to debut yet. And the fact that you have all this kind of building up, and we're just waiting for the borders to open up and for guys to get visas and go in there. Like, it's going to be awesome. Like, the next Young Lions Cup's probably going to be pretty dope. And, like, there's going to be so much cool things you can do with just the Young Lions when they, they're they able to come over. Yeah, I will tell you, um, that's one thing. If you're a diehard AEW fan, that's probably one thing you need to start thinking about that they're deficient at. A great company. They do a lot of really good things, but the one one of the biggest differences between them and New Japan, um, New Japan is spending years developing stars through their dojo systems, and you know AEW doesn't quite have that. I mean, they've got affiliate schools from guys that work in their, you know, on their show. They're incredible at you know Tony Khan has a great eye for talent, and they're incredible at recruiting, but with the way that the uh, the wrestling world is set up right now, the way that the borders are kind of like drawn up between WWE and um, uh, freaking AEW and all that, and they're almost also kind of like overloaded with talent. They don't have too many homegrown guys, you know, that are that they're like rearing up, ready to go. I mean, they've got young guys for sure, but they don't have guys that came through their system. Right, yeah. New Japan, New, New Japan has like a lot of guys right now that I'm not saying they're all going to make it, but I mean, in five years, we know that there's like 12 or 15 guys that are on the back burner that will be their main roster guys for the next decade, you know, and there's right. no question about it. And they don't have to worry about getting into a bidding war to sign, you know, XYZ wrestler because they've already got a whole generation of talent that they've invested into, and it's kind of a smart thing. Right, and especially when we've seen the past where some of the big guys like AJ and Nakamura and, and Balor, where they want to go to WWE or go to AEW, uh, Kenny and all them, like, when those guys leave, like, you got to fill those spots up, and, a- and New Japan has not had an issue any time there's been a, an exodus in filling spots up. They have guys ready to kind of push up and throughout that through that system and so it's really like you mentioned laying the foundation for the future so let's say some guys leave uh, and, and go to america you you got fredericks you got connors you have all these guys uh, narita 
kind of was waiting. Umino, uh, you know, you got um, Imora and Suji on excursion right now. There's so many guys that's locked and loaded that you, you mentioned, you know, next five years, they're, they're, those guys are going to be in Japan tearing it up. Yeah, it is something funny. Um, going back to the Okada talk, you know, uh, they were talking, I was listening to Observer and they were talking about how, you know, him going in as a first bout hall famer when's the next time that that's going to happen and they're like you know there's not too many guys who have the drawing ability of like a rock or you know the superstar quality the match quality of like kensa kobashi or a liger or an okada they're like is there you know i can't imagine that there's anybody out there that's going to kind of fill that role and i'm just sitting here thinking like that sounds true on the surface but new japan has a whole mess of guys that are fantastic wrestlers that are raring to go and they're going to come back from excursion, you know, and probably not all of them, but some of them, I'm, I mean, the, the one guy that still to me, I think is going to blow people away is you when he comes back. I feel like you is going to be a really big fucking deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. And be like a Tokyo Dome main eventer. And then it's going to be like, Oh, Okay, well, I guess they, and I'm not saying he's going to be Okada or Tanahashi. Maybe he will, maybe he won't, maybe he'll surpass them. I don't know. But uh, it's not like New Japan ha- isn't setting up guys to be able to do those things, you know? Right. And I think with New Japan, it, it's a very kind of easy thing to tell, tell you know, pin out, pin out the, the top guys, you know, with the live tour structure that they're doing. Like, you can tell which guys are drawing which guys are not it's not like the you know the WWE model where like the the name is the brand the name is the draw you can see if you put okada in the main event it, it's going to sell out you you put somebody else so you can it's not going to be as much and so they're going to be able to see well, the other thing okay oh, as i say the other thing too though is that new japan is um and this is something that AEW has been good at but uh gato kind of did it first where they come up with a plan they stick to the plan you know right okada wasn't Okada was not a great draw when he first got pushed to the limelight. People were it, bro. People were fucking livid when Okada came in after that lackluster performance in the dome, and then getting the first crack at Tanahashi, and then beating him, and then the run with the title. Like people were a pissed, and b thought it was a joke, and thought Gato lost his mind. Look at where we're at in 2022. This guy went in as a first battle Hall of Famer, right? And, um, you know, maybe that's something we need to, uh, that, you know, now that we're on the air uh, production note, um, Rich pointed out that the 10-year anniversary of Okada Tanahashi uh, Part 1 is coming up. Maybe we need to consider doing something. I don't know what, but we need to do something for that. But uh, I only said that earlier to say this, you know, um, nobody thought Okada was going to be, I mean, yes, people thought he was going to be a star because of look at him. You know what I mean? Look right. Him, obviously. Like but nobody, but nobody knew what he would be, and people are kind of counting out these uh, younger generations of of lions, like they, like they don't have a Shota Umino sitting in the, you know, in the wings, like they don't have a Ren Narita, like they don't have Yu Yumura, like they don't have Suji, and I mean, or Gabe Kid, or any of the guys from the LA Dojo. I mean, you know, it's kind of when you start to see how much talent they actually have stacked up, it's kind of insane. Yeah, and that's why I'm so excited because once the boards open up, man, it's going to be crazy the influx of guys that they can bring in, not just like the you know the big name guys that we want to see like Filthy Tom and Brody and all those guys, but yeah, like 
getting kid full time, Narita, Yumora, Suji, Michael and, Richards. Yeah, I'll get all these guys in there. I mean, I'm sure Richards will, will be a great addition and one tease, you know, get some more season in, but uh I yeah. hope so. We'll we'll talk more about that on the second when you see the second episode, you come back and you tell me what you think. Uh I am looking forward to seeing Russell. I I, I threw his name out there because he's like the lowest on the totem pole, but yeah, I am actually interested in him at this point. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Um, so cool. That's uh, going to take us to the next phase of the show. So we got some news items here. We're going to run through those quickly in a tweet on Friday, Hiroshi Tanahashi announced that he has signed a new deal with NJPW. Tanahashi wrote that he's renewed his contract and, uh, he will do his best. You know, that, that is great news. You know, I, I was worried that, you know, <laughs> T- TK or Vinnie Mac, uh, court Bauer, you know, there's... I thought Court might have him. Right, you know, Court, he's trying to get these, you know, he's suing WWE. He, he has some big plans, trying to make some big deals, <laughs> thinking, you know, he was bringing the ace in to wrestle uh, Mel Mortez. Yeah, I got I got nervous about that, you know. <laughs> I was thinking they might get him for Azteca Underground, you know. Right. The ace. So, <laughs> um, next bit of news, a special training camp will take place for the LA Dojo on Friday, February 21st. Rocky Romero will lead a pair of seminars on the day, giving wrestlers with some experience the chance to improve their game and learn from one of NJPW's most accomplished names. So if you're a wrestler and you have some experience, I would highly recommend that you make your way out to L.A. for that uh, you know, training seminar. Yeah, that'll be dope. Uh, next bit of business, Will Ospreay will be defending the Warrior Wrestling Championship against Brian Cage. On January 22nd, I almost, so I tweeted this out and I almost made a joke about him defending the Catholic high school heavyweight <laughs> title. And then I thought better of it. And I just sent the the tweet with the, you know, the eyes Yeah. and uh, warrior wrestling actually like retweeted it and liked it. Like, thank God I didn't uh, <laughs> smirch their prestigious title. They, they might've been not happy about that. Yeah. That should um, be a fun matchup. I did re- so I'm trying to keep up on the excursion matches of the year. I did recently watch oh, you know what was really bro, I watched uh I'm not gonna nominate it, but I watched Rocky Romero versus Casey Navarro from the last Warrior Wrestling show. Yeah. That might be one of the best Rocky excursion matches I've seen in a long time. Mm. Very, very, very good. I liked it a lot. Casey Navarro's good too. Uh he had a few botches, but he's very good. But uh, the main event match was Will Ospreay in a triple threat uh, with him and um, Trey Miguel and Blake Christian. Mm. And uh, very good. Um, probably like four stars. Not Will. Will Will was like light years. It's so weird when you see, like, you know how good Will Ospreay is. You know what I mean? Like, we mm. see him wrestle all the time and you know he's really good. And then you you hear that he's wrestling like Trey Miguel or Blake Christian or like uh, what's the Zane guy's name? What's his name? Uh, Alex Zane. Like Alex Zane, and those guys are all very highly influenced by him, and they have similar styles. And you think like they're gonna mesh so well, 
And then you see him get in there with them, and they are very good, but he's so far beyond them that you're like, oh, fuck, he's, he kind of, like, has to slow down and make them, like, look better than they actually are. He, like, it, it's hard for them to go at his level. Yeah, and that definitely my eyes are open. Like you mentioned with the Alex A match, I'm strong. It's just like, man, like Osprey, yeah, he's just light years ahead of these guys, and he's just so good, and he gets kind of lumped in. Oh, he's that, he's that flippy-do guy. He just does a bunch of high ah. spots, and, like, <laughs> his style has evolved. Like, he still does, you know, the space flying tiger drop and his high-flying stuff, but his style has evolved so much since those complaints with the whole the Ricochet match and stuff like that, but people still kind of lump him in as like this uh, spot monkey indie darling, but his style has evolved and he, he's just he's just so incredible in the ring. And I get you don't like him as a person, fine, that you're right, but it's hard to deny this guy's a great professional wrestler. Yeah, and then it also when you look back at some of the, the good, really good matches he's had with guys that have been considered maybe not on the level, it makes you kind of reconsider their level of wrestling. Like Dowie James, uh Tai Chi uh, is another one that comes to mind. Um like that, that he's had like uh, Lance Archer guys he's just had like bangers with and you're like man there were guys that he wrestled that I thought were better than them like more athletic but they didn't look as good and then you look at a guy like Tai Chi like you know um, there's probably a lot of people who don't think he's as good as like Blake Christian or Trey Miguel and then you're like yeah he's much better than those guys <laughs> Um, last bit of news here, Impact on Access TV will be coming to Fort Lauderdale January 21st through the 22nd. Uh, on the taping, they've announced Jay White and G.O.D. as making special appearances. So uh, be on the lookout for that, you know. And, um, I'm, you know, with uh, the Access TV deal kind of ongoing, I think it's a smart idea to keep having certain guys from uh, New Japan to show up on that show so that when you tune in, you can watch – impact showing new japan guys and then also watch new japan following it there's kind of some synergy there right and also uh, starting this thursday they're doing uh they're gonna start playing some classic episodes on uh access i uh, think the uh alpha versus omega matchup will be airing uh this replaying this thursday on access after impact so that'll be fun to check out if it's not morrow and josh barnett episodes i don't want to watch it <laughs> bro i love they, they were like the best commentary team i loved it but, uh, yeah, we got some questions. Yeah, we've got tons of questions here. Uh, first from Rambone Slam Pig. This is Okada walking out of Wrestle Kingdom as a champion. Do you believe he'll walk into next year's show still holding that belt? If not, who is the most likely to de- dethrone him? That's a really good question. Um, I think that it's more than likely that he does hold it going into next year's show. But a lot can happen in a year, especially with the kind of year that we're having here where things are sort of unpredictable, hard to kind of gauge. They got the big Dantaku show coming up. They got Dominion. You know, there's some big – and then obviously whoever wins New Japan Cup. So, I mean, there's at least three – or if he were to hold it all the way through the year, there's at least three or four major, major title defenses that he would have to get through. Um so I don't think it's impossible that he loses the belt. Yeah, for me, what I, are you thinking? I'm just thinking, you know, it, it's the 50th year anniversary. They're really pushing that hard. Uh, I think it makes a ton of sense just to have Okada ride the year out as a champion. Also, like you mentioned there are a lot of big shows where he could lose it, and you know, we're we're starting up hot with a big challenger in Naito. 
Uh, I'm assuming we'll probably get another Shingo match at some point in the year. You got to think Osprey's going to get another shot at some point in the year. Um, Abushi's going to come back at some point. So there are some guys who are, are big guys that can get a win up on him. You know, Abushi's had a hard time. There's a great story to tell of him coming back and getting the title back. Um, so it's definitely a possibility he can lose it. But I guess, I don't know. I have this feeling like since it's the 50th year and, you know, businesses are trying to still recoup from, you know, these COVID crowds and uh, not getting full houses, having Okada on top is a great way to do that. So I can see them just riding out the whole year of him as champion. Yeah, the three guys that come to mind for me that might potentially be trouble for him down the road are maybe Jay White, mm. Kota Ibushi, and maybe Will Ospreay. And if it was me, I would say that the person most likely to potentially defeat him and uh, take that title might be Will Ospreay. Right, yeah. There's obviously, they've been telling the story of Osprey needing to beat Okada in the Dome. And that's why I'm kind of feeling like he's going to take it to the Dome and then you can do that big match with Okada and Osprey and have Osprey uh, finally beat him in the Dome and win the title. Potentially. One thing, though, in the past, they haven't liked to do the same match three years straight in the Dome. Mm. And that would be, I think that might be a first time they've ever done that. So that'd be kind of unprecedented. But, uh, you know, they might do that, especially with the two-night format, if that continues. So, Right. Uh, this next question is, it seems likely Naito loses his title shot at Golden Series. What do you see for his 2022? Will he be broke down to be built back up for a big spot at Next Universal Kingdom? Or is this the year he settles into the mid-card behind guys like Shingo, Osprey, Ibushi, etc.? Um, I think that it's going to be a year where this is just how I feel they're going to tell a story where he's trying to get built back up for a big spot. And I think it's going to have some mixed results, but by the time the year end comes, he'll be one of the main players. Uh, I think he's going to, obviously the G1 is going to be a big factor in all of this, but uh, I don't see him settling into a mid card role behind those guys anytime soon. I just, I don't see that being his slot. Um, right, despite the status of his knees, like Naito is still a huge draw, still a huge merch movers. So I don't think it would be a smart business thing to put him as the mid card. Also, I, I agree. I don't think he's going to win uh, this Golden Series match with Okada. But there's also several stuff you can do with him throughout the year to keep him kind of in that you know upper mid card main event scene where he's still getting pushed a lot. And also, we, we've seen them explore him and Sonata. As a team, I think him as U.S. champion could be interesting. We could get like a Naito Tanahashi match on the line if Sonata fails to beat uh, Tanahashi. I think that would be an interesting matchup, and I think Naito could be an interesting guy to hold that U.S. title. Have him come over, do some strong, uh, do some kind of appearances in the U.S. I think that would be a great thing for him. Yeah, I just I don't see him as being a guy that's going to be taking a backseat to all those other uh, wrestlers that you mentioned. Just because, like you mentioned, from a business perspective, I mean. Yeah, his health might not be where it was. Like, he might not physically be where he was a few years ago, but that's not how he's viewed by the audience. And the audience sees him as a huge, gigantic fucking star. So they're not going to, you know, cash in their chips and, and uh, you know, job him out or anything like that. Like, I, I don't see that happening this year or for the feasible future. Yeah. Uh, next question comes from Hayden on Twitter, at Seal3Hay. 
So it's kind of a random question, but since guys like Juice, David, and Jay haven't been in Japan for almost a year, and it seemed to have found their home on Strong, what foreigners other than ZSJ, Cobb, and Osprey do you think will step up in bigger roles? Huh, that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I don't know necessarily that they're not going to be. I mean, I think once Jay White works out his visa issues and everything, his uh, or you know his citizenship or whatever is going on with that, I'm sure he'll be back. Um, the only name that comes to mind for me right out the gate is El Fantasmo. Hmm. Yeah, it definitely seems, you know, that tease of him, you know, you know, talking about Jay not showing up at Wrestle Kingdom, it definitely seems like there could potentially be something with him in uh, maybe becoming the new leader of Bullet Club or, or feuding. But, you know, they've always kind of been behind him, you know, this, this whole year-long storyline with the, uh, sudden, uh, the sudden death, the loaded boot. They spent a lot of time in, investing in that and kind of building him up and, you know, he did great stuff in his first Super Juniors when he debuted, and so I think they're they're a guy that they that they really like and they'll get behind. So I could definitely see him doing something big this year. Yeah, I agree. That's pretty much how I feel. I can't think of anyone else on the roster that I'm like, oh, you know, Aaron Hanare, they're going with this guy. Like they're not. They're not. Right. <laughs> you know. So. Uh, next question here from Reddit user Doctor Sex Toy. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you predict will be the breakout star this year? That's an interesting question with no, um, you know, he didn't give us any context. So, I mean, a, a breakout star could mean a lot of things. You know, it could be like someone who uh, kind of fits the mold of our most improved type of award that we do. Or are we talking about someone that, uh, you know, steps into, say, like a, you know, wrestler of the year type of role that had in the past. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, um, that's like, for instance, was last year Shingo's breakout year? I, I would say he had a great year, but it wasn't his, like, breakout year. He'd already, even though he did win the title and uh, accomplish a lot of great things, he'd already kind of had a breakout year two years prior, you know? And this is also supposing that there are people who, um, haven't maximized their potential that are waiting in the wings to break out. You know, I mean, I, I wish this, uh, I think it's a great question. I just wish they'd given us a little more context to what they meant by that, because it can mean a lot of things, you know? Yeah. I mean, for me, the, the first guy I kind of think of is, is Tai Chi. It, Cause it seems like dangerous techers is done for now. We're going to take a break. And I feel like he's gotten so much better over the last few years in ring and, They've been kind of doing this kind of slow baby face turn with him. And so I think there's some great things that's going to happen with him. Like in maybe in a new Japan cup in a G one, I think he's going to get elevated and kind of do some cool stuff this year. That's a, that's a good call. Um, I agree with you. I mean, you could probably say the same thing for Zach. He, you know, I think both guys are poised to get elevated. Um, the only other person that I think the company's high on that really hasn't fully broken out just yet, and I, I think it would be a safe bet. I wouldn't be surprised if Okan mm. gets a big spotlight this year and uh, gets pushed in, to a much higher degree and maybe starts having a lot better matches too. Yeah, and it seems like they are kind of doing something because, you know, he's facing the Young Lions so far in this Golden Series Tour, so they're, they're racking up some wins for him. 
and maybe they're they're building him up for maybe to be a favorite during uh, the New Japan Cup or something coming up. Uh, so next question here from user Raising Falcons on the February 17th show. It'll be Chaos versus LIJ 5-on-5. Five five. I would expect for LIJ to win as they're clearly the top faction when it comes to faction battles. If Chaos does manage to beat LIJ, will this be a slap to the face of Congo from Noah as they lost to LIJ? After LIJ beating Congo, it just feels like LJ has to win this match now or Congo by proxy will look like chumps. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think personally that uh, New Japan is taking into consideration the, you know, match math of Congo and how Congo, their loss weighs into the overall booking of New Japan and, you know, the faction warfare between Chaos and LIJ. Like, I, I don't think it matters. I don't think most New Japan or NOAA fans are really thinking about this. I think it's one of those kind of cool kind of interesting things to sort of think about but uh i mean i've already forgotten about congo at this point like that that's that's over in that green company like (laughs) you know it has nothing to do with new japan at this point like um i think what made them look like chumps was the way they you know got the short end of the stick when it came to all the negotiations for you know who went over who didn't go over and uh all the politics of that that's what made noah as a whole look like chumps not not this one individual match. Right. It's not like, I mean, we, we've seen LIJ lose multi-mans before to other units right. in New Japan. So it's not like they're this unbeatable five-man unit. They, they've lost before. So I don't think if they were to lose to Chaos on this show, I don't I don't think it's that big of a deal. And like you mentioned, I don't think Gato is really thinking about, oh, how does, how does this affect, how does my booking affect Congo or Noah? Like, Maybe as a, as a fandom, yeah, we would like to see some kind of continuity, but he's got to focus on what's best for New Japan. Was uh, one of those guys' names Tadisuke? I think so, yeah. Yeah, we got to make Tadisuke look strong. You know? <laughs> we got to keep him strong, protect him. So LJ's got to go over. Um, and and, I, and I'm, looking, here, I'm looking at the matchup here. So it's an elimination match, and it's not even... Oh, so everyone's going to lose. <laughs> right, and it's, it's not an even... elimination match. It's not even fully chaos. It's Kojima, Tenzan, Makabe, Tanahashi, and Okada. So Okada is the only chaos guy on that team uh, ah. up against all LIJ. Yeah. The thing with um, LIJ is like, as long as they've in a traditional match, if they've got Bushi on the team, all bets are off. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but, with, you know, the funny thing, though, with this being an elimination match, oftentimes the weaker guys on the team have a better chance of being the sole survivors. We've seen Hanma be the sole survivor before. We've seen Bushi be the sole su- survivor before. So, um, you know, those matches are fun, but uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I think you're uh, doing too much mental gymnastics with this one a little bit. Yeah. The second question says, on February 19th, it'll be Sonata versus Tanahashi for the U.S. belt. Really hoping for Sonata to win single goal. So my question is, which option would you pick, A, for Sonata to win, or B, Tanahashi to lose? Man, fuck <laughs> Sonata. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I, I sorry as fuck. I always ride with the ace. I always ride with the ace. What's wrong with you, Raising <laughs> Falcons? Why would you ask? Do you know who you're speaking to? This is offensive. I'm appalled. I, I'm a citizen of the United States of Ace. Like, yeah, the fuck. <laughs> Plus, dude, can you imagine if Sonata wins? That means he might have to come here, and then we got to go to you know shows where he's main eventing. Like, no. 
Right. This is in February. Tampa shows in March. That man can win and come here. The St. Pete Coliseum. Can you imagine those post-show promos he'll be cutting? (laughs) Everyone turn off the lights. Turn off the lights. Turn off the lights. No, bro. Not doing that. Listen, Sonata's a fine little hand, you know? Good good utility guy. He's a good utility guy. He's a great he is a great tag team technician. I mean, one of the best. Arn Anderson level. He's very good at tag team wrestling. But this man should not be the United States champion, especially not against Hiroshi Tanahashi. Even even 2022 Hiroshi Tanahashi should not be losing to Sonata. Like, fuck all that. Right, and plus Tanahashi just got a new contract, big bag. Yeah. yeah. This, this man holding the U.S. belt all year. Forever, bro. He's never dropping it. Uh, Next question here from Grunty Dodd. He says, watching English commentary, Chris Charlton said Okada's short-arm clothesline can split baseball bats in two. Is there any precedent for this happening, or just a weird exaggeration? I've seen it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I've never seen it. I don't know. I don't think he can do that, though. If you want my honest opinion, I doubt he's a... Breaking bats with his short arm close. How would you short arm clothesline <laughs> a bat? I don't. I don't even know. Like, think about the mechanics of it. What if you're holding the bat with the one hand and then spinning it out, and then basic, and then coming up with the rainmaker? You'd basically be assaulting your own clothesline arm with the bat. This is this. I don't think this is real. Yeah, there, there, there's there's no way that this could happen. Also, maybe it's like a, a wooden baseball bat. I, I don't know. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it would have to be wood. But like, just think about it. Like, he, like imagine him doing the rainmaker to a baseball bat. Think of the optics of it. It just looks goofy. <laughs> it would just be him with his left hand holding it, and then extending it out, and then just fucking destroying his right arm as he tries to clothesline it in a short arm fashion, like he's Jake the Snake Roberts. But he breaks his arm. And so the bat would not break. He would break his arms. Yeah, this is a ridiculous. You know, <laughs> thank you for bringing this, Grunty Dodds. That's a great question. Thank you for bringing this to our attention. Chris Charlton's on that cap shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> fire. Oh man. Uh, Ready user Viking Pain says Ibushi, Osprey, Shingo, and Okada are four guys who have already added their names to the new world title lineage. With Naito and Jay White definitely shoe-ins to do the same in the future too. But do you think Tanahashi will ever get a run with the new world title? A transitional champion, for example, just to get his name in the record books. And who else on the NJP roster do you think are world champion material? I don't think Hiroshi Tanahashi will ever be world champion again. Yeah, I mean, at this point in his career, I feel like it would have to be, you know, break the emergency glass. Okada, Naito have COVID. Chingo, they all have COVID and or they're all hurt and we need somebody to step in real quick, put it on Tanahashi. But at, at this point I could see him being a title challenger, but I don't think he's going to end up capturing the world title. Um, As far as guys that could hold the title that haven't held it, uh, aside from the names you've given, there are two names that come to mind. I don't know how likely it is either of them ever actually hold the title, but when you say world champion material, I think that they both could be the champion based on like how fucking incredible they are as wrestlers. And that's Zack Sabre Jr. And Tomohiro Ishii. Mm. It might never happen, but 
fuck it needs it should happen he's the best dude like there's no reason he should he needs to have one title reign in his in his career period right they they gave the belt to evil and they can't they can't give our dog tomohiro ishii (laughs) a, a little run come on come on bro yeah you gave this shit to evil dude like um yeah, I mean, there's a lot of other young guys that could be future champions, but like as far as like just active top guys on the roster that I think could hold the belt, those are those are two names. Like, and they're kind of outside names, but I would love it if either or both of them ever won the title. I'd be down for uh, Jeff Cobb winning the title at some point. Not opposed to that either. He's pretty incredible. Yeah. His next question: For return to Access TV, do you think we'll get a legit crossover with Impact and New Japan in the future? I'm not talking about a talent exchange, but a real crossover, like a strong invasion in a joint impact slash strong pay-per-view show. Crazier things have happened. Um, I, I I wouldn't be completely shocked if they did it, you know, especially with the way wrestling's been the past couple of years. Why not? Right. And the whole rumor with the Access TV deal and why New Japan got removed was Impact wanted to work with New Japan that um, they bought, they bought access to Anthem, bought access TV, wanted New Japan to partner with them, and New Japan was like, "Nah, you know, we we, we got Ring of Honor." So Impact, well, get off our station. So now that they are back on the same station, and we've already seen guys going on both shows this weekend, we're seeing Jay and God go to their tapings. I do think we will see some more crossover, and I think it does make a ton of sense uh, to do some kind of big cross-branded uh, pay-per-view show. I also asked, what are your thoughts on VOW reporting that the members of House of Torture aren't particularly fond of their shenanigans, too, but are just happy to be getting a push? Do you think one day the members will just tell Dick Togo to tone down with all the interferences? Um, I mean, I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, it may be. And, uh, I mean, if I was wrestling and I was in this group and I saw the kind of, you know, reactions it was getting and all the uh, – problems it might create for me as a uh you know entertainer and a uh, competitor i probably wouldn't be happy about it either but at the same time it's a double-edged sword like they just mentioned you're getting a push so it's kind of hard to balance and uh toe that line you know what i mean again i don't know the specifics of this report i haven't read it myself or anything like that but it does sound like it makes sense um, yeah as far as where it goes i don't know yeah, it's been mentioned in a couple of their, their recent reports, especially with show, you know, not being happy with the shenanigans, but happy he's getting a singles push. You know, obviously him and yo, both of those guys have worn singles pushes for a while now. So, yeah, like you mentioned, yeah, it's you you, you feel bad that you're having to do this stuff. But at the same time, you're, you're getting the big push. And, you know, as our, our good friend, the, the captain, Aaron Orr, about to say, like, I'm, I'm not the booker. None of these guys are the booker except Dick Togo as part of the, the booking team. These guys can't are not really controlling, you know, what they're doing, but that they're getting the push. Yeah. Uh, his last question: Who has the best entrance music theme right now, and has Young Boy given a thought to what type of music or song he wants to walk out to? Pretty simple. The best music in all of wrestling is Tetsuya Naito. Nobody touches it. Yeah, I mean, Naito's song is a banger. It's it's the fucking best. Uh, as far as uh, music or song I'd like to walk out to, I've had a lot of ideas. I do have something that I've selected for when I would ever potentially legit go out there and have my first official real matches with a gimmick or whatever. 
but as far as like for training i've uh every time i've wrestled i have had entrance music and i've gone out to the kumite Bloodsport theme song which, which slaps yeah that is awesome <laughs> like you talk about a, a, a badass entrance you hear that music like oh this dude coming out is about to mess somebody up <laughs> bro like the first time i wrestled i heard like doom, 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 doom. And I was like, oh, God, like, it's so cool. I just wish, like, the walkway was, like, not just a couple feet. And I could, like, actually, like, <laughs> right, you know, enjoy it. Yeah. Instead, I just had to, like, walk to the ring. It's right there. Man, tell, tell Matt to, you know, work on that. You know, get to extend the entrance way. I don't tell Matt to do anything. Matt does what he wants to do. <laughs> Matt tells me what to do. Uh, next question here from Less Commission 7252. Shouldn't El Phantasmo, Yo, or Sho had challenged Desperado since those three defeated the champ in the Best of Super Junior 28 a few months ago? Why, why are you bringing up old stuff, bro? Okay. Why? This is New Japan. You show up after a match. You point to the, to the guy that you want the title shot, and then you do the belt thing. You, you, you mime that you want a title shot. You know, you, you pretend like you got a belt around your waist, and then you know what happens? You get it because there's no number one contenders here. Okay, there's no there's rankings. No, there's no ranking system. All right, it's nothing like that. Okay, this is a this is a all New Japan runs entirely on dibs. I don't know if you know this. Okay, they respect the art of dibs, and if you're the first guy to get out there and say you want first up, you get first up. That's it. That's how it works. Right, and since we didn't really see, you know, Wild didn't come out and point to the belt. Also, he tapped out Desperado, but I'm sure with that submission victory, he ran back to the IWGP committee and said, look at the footage. I, I, I tapped this man out. Give me my shot. That's the other thing, too. It's like, who was the last guy to beat him? Mm. Okay. It wasn't ELP. It wasn't, you know, again, Dibs, the, la- the, the last one who called it. He's the first one. Uh, makes sense to me. Yeah. You know, never forget all that. Super juniors, no one was even watching that. Okay. I <laughs> think anyone was watching the best of the super juniors slash world tag league 2021. No one saw those shows. Okay. What we did see was the dark match <laughs> of Wrestle Kingdom Night 2. <laughs> okay. Okay. The whole, the whole world, question. the whole world saw Watto tap that man out. Yeah, the whole fucking world. How how embarrassing! You show up the in the semi main event night one, you know, wearing the all white joint, beat this man Hiromu clean, and then you get beat by way to the grandmaster Master Watto the next night in the dark match opener. God, what a fucking my god! <laughs> His next question: Will Tanahashi hold the U.S. belt until we get the special singles match between him and Moxley? And if we do get that match, do you guys prefer the match on AEW or New Japan? Um, yeah, I think that that would make a lot of sense. Uh, if I was New Japan and I was AEW, I might do that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, we don't really know. Obviously, Mox is coming back tomorrow. He's going to be working GCW very this weekend. I think we got some questions about that, but uh. You know, I don't know what the plans are with him in New Japan, but um, that's a big, big match that they wanted to do. They haven't had a chance to do it. I would not 
foot that title until I was able to do that match, considering the history that Mox has with that belt. Um, as far as where it happens, I really don't care, to be honest with you. Uh, I think I prefer, me personally, I think Mox is just better in New Japan. I think he has better matches. I don't know what it is, whether it's like something about the vibe of New Japan he really like buys into and gets really fucking gets into it. <laughs> right. Um, he just comes off as more of a badass to me in New Japan. That being said, I wouldn't mind if the ace showed up in, you know, in AEW. Like, how would that be bad? So, I mean, I'm, I could care less one way or the other. Yeah, it seems like it's definitely be difficult to have a match in Japan uh, with the, the visa issue and, and the borders and everything. But we don't know what the schedule is for the big live shows. We don't know if there's going to be like a resurgence or battle in the valley anytime soon. But if they are going to do one of those uh, big live U.S. shows, I think that would be um, a cool match to do. Especially since we thought we were getting that, but uh, Archer ended up beating Moxley. And we get the, got the Archer Tanahashi match, so I definitely think doing Moxley Tanahashi at the main event on one of those live shows could be cool. Definitely. Next question here from front of the show, the Ghoul Dan Coffin. He says, "Are you guys planning to watch the GCW Hammerstein show this weekend? Do you think Mox drops the title to Homicide? When do you think we get to see Mox and NJPW again? Hoping he shows up at the St. Pete Coliseum myself. And who should he feud with? Jay White, DSJ." Ace for the U.S. title or someone else? Great questions. Um, you know, I might tune in for that GCW show, but I got to tell you, every time I tune into GCW, you know, it's pretty shitty. <laughs> Bro, I have the same experience, dude. They'll they'll entice me with one matchup. I'm like, man, that match looks really good. Maybe I'll check this show out. Then I start watching the show. I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is horrible. Yeah, I, I tuned in uh, briefly for this past weekend show, and, uh, like, I was in the middle of, like, the second match, and uh, I was just like, bro, I don't think this shit's for me. Like, this is for some, <laughs> this is for some fucking ghouls and goons. Like, this just sucks. So, but, you know, will I tune in to see GCW peak? Because let's be clear, I think that the Hammerstein Ballroom is the peak of their existence. This is basically the same thing. Remember when Progress ran uh, Wembley? yeah. That's this same shit all over again, I think. Um, so, you know, congrats to them. That's cool. Um, this show might be good. I don't know what's on the show except for Homicide and uh, and Mox. So, you know, I might tune in for that match. That sounds cool. But, uh, you know, I'm not a big GCW guy. Uh, as far as, like, Mox getting in the ring, I don't know. I do hope he shows up in Tampa. That would be cool. Um, I think he's probably going to feud with Tanahashi at some point. But, uh in the meantime, I mean, who knows? Maybe we could see him in Filthy. Maybe we could see him in Brody. I don't know. I, I, I Who knows? Yeah, there's history there of uh, him and Jay White that could be revisited. Yep. They were setting up the, the Zack Sabre feud before the pandemic hit. So somehow maybe Zack can come over to, and do a match with him here in the States. Um, there's several options there for him. They should just have him, like, slaughter the L.A. Dojo. <laughs> yeah, just run through <laughs> all those guys. Run through him just because. Yeah. Um, and, I, and then he fights Shibata. I mean, yeah, it could, could happen now that Shibata is uh, wrestling again. Uh, wrestling, quote unquote. <laughs> uh, but I, I do think Mox will probably drop the title to Homicide, maybe. I, I don't see him 
I don't know what's the benefit of him holding on to the GCW title that much longer. So I guess we'll see. They should bring uh, Mox to New Japan, but then have him only wrestle AEW guys. So like him and Jericho, <laughs> him and Archer. <laughs> that way, uh, TK can tr- control the booking a little bit. Yeah. Uh, next set of questions here from Reddy's the underscore dark underscore soldier it says, "Young boy, you have a problem with Yo, and it needs to be resolved. I vote for next year's Wrestle Kingdom: Jeremy Donovan and the Young Boy Josh versus Yo and Karen, with Chris Sampsa and friend of the show Rocky Romero on commentary." I don't have a problem with Show or with Yo. Um, you know, Show beat that ass in the dome, so I mean, <laughs> you know. I don't really have a problem with it. You know, he's a loser. He lost on the big stage. He lost the feud with his, uh, you know, tag team partner. I mean, you know, he's Marty Yonetti. I mean, I don't understand. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I would have no problem, uh, you know, teaming up with you to, to take on Yo. But, you know, I, I don't think I could, you know, rightfully lay hands on Karen. I, I don't think that'd be right. Yeah, I don't believe in intergender. But uh, if Yo wants to get stretched... <laughs> Give me your arm. <laughs> uh, uh, his next question he says, Would House of Torture get over by having Evil and Dick Togo as an official tag team with the name being Evil Dick? What say you? Yeah, bro, wrong show. <laughs> <laughs> wrong New Japan podcast. <laughs> we're, the, we're the ones without the dick jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, don't, I don't think they're ever getting over personally. So yeah, the, the, their wrestling is horrible. So no matter what you you can call them, the, the world's greatest tag team that that's they're, they're still not getting over. Uh, his last question: A few years back, New Japan had a relationship with the NWA. Kojima and Tenzan were NWA World Champion, and we got Chase Owens out of it. Why did that relationship end? Because the NWA is not the NWA anymore. Like. That was the end of, and I don't even know all the ins and outs of it, but I mean, that was kind of the NWA in its like dying days um, when it was like just kind of trying to hold on to the last shred of relevancy it possibly could. That was like during like the Rob Conway days. Mm. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. And then very quickly after that, I mean, they've gone through so many different management changes and so many different formats. They kind of went to like a, a regional indie sort of uh, format, you know, kind of just working between, they, they stopped working with New Japan. I don't know why the relationship fell out, but then, you know, you look at the guys that were champion during that period afterwards, you look at like Kahagas, Jax Dane, you know, it wasn't like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it wasn't the pinnacle of, uh, you know, it wasn't Jack Briscoe and Terry Funk, you know, I'll tell you that much. And, the company now, the NWA now, is actually just a wrestling company. You know, a lot of people don't realize, like, the NWA was never a wrestling company for the most part. It was generally a, like, sanctioning board or, you know, agreement between various promoters, whether that was during its heyday or even, like, when it was just a kind of local indie regional thing. Like, for the most part, they just worked with indies. And uh, now that doesn't exist. They have no affiliates. They have. They don't work with any indies. They are, you know, Billy Corgan shut all that down. He bought all the rights to the NWA and reformatted them as an actual wrestling company. So the NWA is a wrestling company now. It was not before. So 
it's not even the same thing as it was back then, you know? Right. And I'm sure once New Japan saw, like, what it was becoming, they were like, yeah, let's get out of this deal. <laughs> Bro, let me just peel the curtain back a little bit. We had a relationship with a local indie promoter that was pretty powerful in the quote-unquote NWA. This is probably back 2013, I want to say, twenty late 2013, early 2014. And a friend of the show, Rich Latta. What's up, Rich? Um, Rich was... <laughs> doing some work for one of these local indie promoters that that had Kahagas, the <laughs> triple crown NWA world champion. And they were going over the book and they asked Rich, should we flip the title? They asked Richard Lada if they should fit if they should flip <laughs> the NWA world's heavyweight the ten pounds of gold. <laughs> okay. They, if you're wondering why the relationship, you know, didn't continue between New Japan and the NWA, just maybe that's your answer. Rich Lana had some sort of say on one evening as to whether or not they should flip the title off Kahagas, <laughs> you know, the Tokyo Monster. Man, social suplex, we almost had control of the of the NWA. Yeah, we Rich was ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next question here from our user Pussy Destroyer. Now that Suzuki has the KOPW, I have a little bit of faith that it can become something different and entertaining. But if Yano wins that trophy once again, I will only have myself to blame for thinking this stupid trophy gimmick would amount to anything. Uh, so I guess really it's more of a, a comment there than, than a question. Good insight. Great <laughs> insight, Pussy Destroyer. We appreciate that, you know, this is a platform for your thoughts and your opinions. No, I'm just playing. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I pretty much agree with him, though. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully it will be uh, something cool that we'll get some interesting stuff out of it. Bro, I don't give a fuck about KOPW or Yano. <laughs> so, I don't know. Uh, last set of questions here from Reddit user Hawaiian Punch BV. What do you make of Hanma's strong start to the year? I think the man hasn't missed a Kokeshi so far this year. If he keeps going at this rate, we'll get him back in the G1, baby. Yeah, man, could be a, a certain year for him. Get him, get him in a New Japan Cup with some upset, strong year in the G One. Hama Mania. Come over to strong, beat Filthy Tom. Listen, if I had the book, the finals of this year's New Japan Cup, we get Hanma and Great Okam, baby. Hmm. Yeah, that's some good booking. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Meltzer would love yep. that match. <laughs> and then we put over the youngster, Hanma. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. How much you want to bet like him and Okada would have the match of Hanma's life and probably be a classic? Oh, it would be an incredible. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're not joking. that Everything else we said is a joke, but like that probably actually would rule. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure Okada could carry him to at least a four-star match. Oh, definitely. I mean, the, the Suzuki matches were like close to four stars. Bro, in his prime, Hanma was having, like, not even his prime, at the tail end of his prime before the injury, Hanma mm-hmm. was having bangers in this company, you know? Right. So, yeah, if you, if you guys don't know, you have to go back and watch those Hanma and Ishii matches and uh, just some of the work he was doing before the injury, towards the tail end of before the injury happens, like, amazing stuff. All right, so uh, from fight questions here, his thoughts on the big main event of Francis Naganu versus Cyril Gain this weekend. 
I haven't been this excited for a heavyweight title fight since Kane versus GSD one. What do you think of the beef between Ngannou and his old trainer, for, uh, Fernand Lopez? How lucky is Lopez and his relatively smaller gym was able to find two game changers in heavyweight MMA? Yeah, I don't know about the beef between Ngannou and uh, his old trainer. I haven't really kept up with that. Obviously, I'm aware that Francis and Cyril Gan were uh, training partners, and there is footage out there. Uh, and it does show Cyril Gan piecing up Francis Ngannou, um, which is kind of surprising, but also not at the same time. If you've seen Cyril Gan fight and you know how, how much of a complete striker and, and fighter he is, uh, you know, it's not that surprising. Although, again, training is not the same thing as fighting. Um, and the Francis Ngannou that fought against Stipe in his last fight is unlike any version of Francis that we've ever seen before. You got two of the scariest strikers um, in the game, and it's going to be really, really, really interesting to see how this all plays out. I really don't know what to expect. I think it's anyone's game. Um, I think Cyril Gaon is obviously, again, the more complete fighter, and he's better in almost all facets of MMA. But Francis Ngannou still has that secret, scary intangible quality that makes uh you know guys like mike tyson or Mirko krokop just like fucking terrifying you know and uh you saw the last fight stipe couldn't wrestle him stipe couldn't move him he was too patient he didn't gas out and um you know who knows if he lays hands on cyril gone it doesn't matter how good of a fighter cyril gone is he's gonna go to sleep so this one's anyone's fight i do think it's very exciting the problem though They've done a terrible job promoting this. I don't think they're going to do that big of a buy rate, and uh, they should, considering who's fighting and everything. I mean, there's been very little fanfare. I, I looked at the Google Trends history, and I mean, it was pretty low, man. Um, so I'm going to watch the fight. I'm very, very excited for it. Um, you know, uh, it, 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 there's a really compelling story, and it's it, it's it's going to be crazy. Someone's going to sleep most likely, but uh, I think I'm going. I think I'm going with Ngannou, to be honest with you. Um, I think obviously Cyril Gaon makes more sense, but like until someone beats this man in Ghana, like really just takes it from him and fucks him up. Like I have no reason to believe that anyone can do it. Like he's scary. <laughs> right. Like you mentioned, like he's way more patient than he was when he was first going. And I do feel like he has improved in the other areas, his groundwork and his wrestling like he's not just all strikes. Is it is his wrestling and grounds up the best? No, but I feel like he's become more competent in those areas and can get out of bad situations. Uh, but all, all all of that's true. But Cyril Gunn's scary too. They're both scary, man. Yeah, <sighs> yeah, yeah. That 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 one's gonna be a firefight. Whoever gets there first, probably. I don't know. Um, yeah. And also, he says, thoughts on the third fight of Brandon Moreno versus Davidson uh, Figueredo. The last three opponents uh, for both fires will be will be each other. Do you think the UFC is going straight to immediate rematches a little too often? For example, even though I thought Well Zhang and Max Holloway shouldn't have won their rematches against Rose and Bolanowski, I didn't like that they got immediate rematches when they clearly lost their fights. Yeah, I mean, the well, I don't know if I agree with that, but... Um... Uh, about them clearly losing their fights. But, uh, you know, the thing is, uh, MMA 
they have rankings and all that, and it's a sport, quote unquote, but it's completely, you know, it's the fight game. It's a prize fighting, and it's based on star quality, star power, and drawing ability. And I mean, you know, uh, if you had a former champion who's a big star and a big draw, and they're going to um, generate a lot of revenue and more than the upcoming challengers that are on the horizon, and you have some sort of feasible reason that they might, you know, have an argument to get the rematch. UFC is going to go for it because whatever's going to affect their bottom line the most is going to be the thing that happens. You know, um, fighting is not strictly a meritocracy. You know, there is a lot of favoritism when it comes to personality, star power and appeal and drawing ability. And that's just, that's the you know, that's the fact of the matter. So um, I am excited for Brandon Moreno and uh, Figueroa, Figueroa, um, I like Brandon Moreno better. Um, I've always liked him. Um, I followed him on the, um, I called it the Indies. I followed, I followed him on the uh, minor league circuits. And um, ever since I saw him on um, that one season of the ultimate fighter where they had all the champions. Uh, so he's really improved. And um, I hope he picks up the win here. It's going to be a tough one, but the main reason that they're going with the fight back to back and back is because, you know, there's not a lot of stars in that weight class and that's always kind of been the the issue there you know um with you know flyweight bantamweight featherweight well not featherweight but bantamweight and flyweight specifically um so i'm not surprised that they're doing it again and uh hopefully this kind of settles the uh the issue between them and you know we get a definitive champion going forward and we can uh kind of see that division blossom i guess nice dude i, I just got the news man I like they, they've officially uh change walter's name oh god are you serious they really are doing that that's what it sounds like i hope i, I was hoping they weren't going to do that i don't know i've been busy at work i saw something about it and i was hoping they weren't going to do it yeah i was trying to catch up and see if they actually did it but man aren't they giving him a nazi name yeah like Gun- gunther stark or something like that yeah we like googled that name and we're like oh shit that's like a um <laughs> a third reich like general's name or some shit like that's something bad gosh this company is the worst they suck. <laughs> anyway let's go into a recommended match of the week so last week you recommended shinya hashimoto versus lord steven regal and man this was a hard hit this this felt like a fight like this didn't even feel like a wrestling match these guys just felt like they were going out here and Fighting each other like the beginning did have some like good like uh grappling chain work but then after that it, i felt like it was just like regal just trying to like punch this guy and uppercut this guy and then uh hashimoto throwing his like spinning wheel kicks and he got his like nose like bloody at one point in the match and these guys are just going blow for blow uh backing for each other and just kind of hitting these kind of big shots and it was just uh it's a kind of a kind of a dirty kind of a gritty fight here yeah, you kind of forget how nasty Regal used to be, like with the palm strikes. And um, he was like, the body shots that he was throwing at Hashimoto were fucking hard. And like, he was potatoing the shit out of him. These were not, you know, Memphis style Jerry Lawler, you know, uh, beautiful worked punches. These were real shoot punches with like maybe 60, 70% on them, maybe more. Like, Regal was potatoing the fuck out of Hashimoto. Like, um, I don't know why. I, maybe it's a respect thing. Like, you know, I'm going to Japan. I'm going to show these boys. Like, I don't know. But, like, he was beating the fuck out of him. 
Um, and both guys got bloody. This is an extremely um, physical contest between these guys. And, you know, I said it last week. I think it's one of the best Steven Regal matches on tape, you know, that's out there. And, you know, interesting thing, too, it's the only time he ever challenged for gold in his entire New Japan run, which he, he wrestled for them on and off for, you know, the better part of the 90s. Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't remember that, or or just don't just just don't know. Um, yeah, but yeah. Yeah. So I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I also liked the post match where after everything was over, they went to go shake hands and pretend like they were like going to respect each other, and then they just started throwing forearms at one another, like back and forth, back and forth, and they like had to break it up. And it's like, oh, it, like Regal still wants to smoke, even though he just got his ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this was a real fun matchup here, and yeah, I'm definitely, I want to check out some more uh, Regal stuff from New Japan. I think it's his best match. I, there is a uh, six-man tag that's very good that's on World with him, but uh, what would you go star ratings-wise on this one? Uh, probably like uh, four, four and a quarter. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think I'm like right around four for that one. So um, yeah, if you guys didn't haven't seen it, Big recommend Hashimoto, Steven Regal. Check it out. Um, what do you got for me this week, Jeremy? So this week, you know, we're getting ready to kick off the Golden Series Tour. So I figured we should rewind the clock, check some stuff out from some of the original Golden Series Tour. So we're going to go back to 1988 in the very first top of the Super Junior Tournament. We're going to watch Hiroshi Hase versus Owen Hart. Nice. And yeah, um, looking forward to checking that one out. Yeah, this match is up on NJPW World. Um, and I mean, there's a, there's a lot of Golden Series stuff on, on NJPW World. If you type in Golden Series, all the matches will come up. So might recommend some more in the coming weeks. But definitely these are two uh, interesting names here. I thought it would be good to check out. Awesome. Well, I look forward to checking that out. And I will give you guys my review uh, when we return next week. Well, that's going to wrap things up for us here this week. Next week, we'll be back to review the first two nights of the New Year's Golden Series Tour. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Nonovan on Facebook. We're Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. On Instagram, we are at Social Suplex. You can email me, Jeremy, at SocialSuplex.com. On Reddit, I'm the Pro Black Guy. Just keeping it strong style. Check out all the other shows here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boy. Grave Consequences, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd and Austin, and the AEW Match Guide podcast, hosted by Sir Sam. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review, and we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Itchy Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.